entertained? Are you not entertained? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. What's up, Video Landers? I'm Brad, and with me today are my wingmen, Cousin Wayne and Josh. Quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Video Land. Now, we are critics with attitude, so you might hear some very mature things. We're an adult <laughs> podcast, and we have a very, what, rancid, gross, childish sense of humor. Some of you might call us perverts. <laughs> <laughs> Only grandma called you pervert. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> so our sense of humor is out there, wouldn't you say, Josh? Uh, I would agree. And, <laughs> and spoiler alert, if you haven't watched 2001 or Interstellar... If you haven't watched 2001, get the fuck out of video land. Because <laughs> <laughs> you might be from another planet. <laughs> I will second that. Yes, your, your mother might be a monolith. <laughs> so, and uh, if this is your first Versus episode, then welcome to Versus. Versus is AV's fight club of sorts where we pit two movies against each other and see who comes out the victor. Consider Versus the Thunderdome of movie watching where two movies enter and only one movie leaves. We use Versus to examine and discuss films we've needed to see or haven't seen in a while. We recognize a genre of director's achievements by forming a list of categories. The various category winners are awarded a golden idol, and the film with the most golden idols wins. This exercise has helped us understand filmmaking and changed the way we watch movies. Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk releases in just a few weeks, and we started talking about his last film, which was 2014's Interstellar. I have heard critics calling it the 2001 of this generation, so we figured we'd put it up against Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey and see how it holds up against the sci-fi classic. I like this versus for a few reasons. Many critics have argued that Christopher Nolan is Stanley Kubrick's cinematic heir. Both are epic filmmakers. Both have proven themselves across multiple genres. Both have retained artistic identity inside the studio system, and they both have a unique cinematic language. Also, there are many comparisons we, we can make between 2001 and Interstellar. Inter interesting missions to Jupiter and Saturn in big, white, round-spinning spaceships. Uh, both have interesting AI robot companions. Emotional conversations with people on video phones. So there's a lot of comparisons I think that we can make between both of these movies. Certainly. Yeah, so yeah. I want to add that Christopher Nolan is very outspoken about his influences. Um, I have a quote from director Christopher Nolan. He said... Influences on Interstellar included the key touchstones of science fiction cinema. You can't make any film in a vacuum. We're making a science fiction film, a very, very uh, interesting science fiction film. You can't pretend 2001 doesn't exist when you're making a movie like Interstellar. Uh, so the question tonight is, what is the best science fiction movie experience, Interstellar or 2001? Cousin Wayne, have these two sci-fi films stack up All against right. each other. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey uh, came out in 1968. Rotten Tomatoes score 94%. IMDb score of 8.3 directed by Stanley Kubrick. Stars Cara Dulia, Gary Lockwood, and William Sylvester. Interstellar came out in 2014. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of only 71%, but an IMDb score of 8.6. Ooh, okay, hold up oh, there. Yeah. 8.6... 
That takes it over 2001, which was 8.3 for IMDb. Yep. But Rotten Tomatoes has 2001 as the better film. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, stars Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, and Jessica Chastain. Right on. I think that's how you pronounce that. Are you guys uh, excited for Dunkirk at all? Um, I'm excited for most things that Christopher Nolan does, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. He, he's got my interest. <clears throat> it... I wasn't in the mood for a, a war film. But now that it's kind of sneaking up on me and it's three weeks away, I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen a war film in a while, so I'm actually, my interest has peaked. And anything that no one can do in camera, he does. So what you're seeing is usually a practical effects, and he uses CGI as a tool. So, um, yeah, I'm getting excited now. I want to see what he does with a war movie. I'm really curious about it. I just want to see Tom Hardy blow up people in fucking planes. I'm good with that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into tonight's Golden Idols. Guys, best location we broke down tonight into base best spaceship. Mm-hmm. Cousin Wayne, where are you flying in? Uh, I went with the Discovery One, two thousand one Space okay. Odyssey. Uh, to me, it just had a more interesting look to it. Uh, Interstellar, I can't remember what the name of their ship was, but it just it looked plain. I mean, let's face it; they're both spaceships. They both did their fucking jobs. The endurance, the endurance. sir, sir, the endurance. Thank you. <laughs> but it, it just it did. It almost had like a plain Jane. So what look to it, where uh, the Discovery 1 just had a very interesting and unique design to it. looked it. like a fucking semen. It looked like a little sperm. Yes, yes it did. I found that <laughs> interesting. Very cool. <laughs> <Very Kubrick. Kubrick. laughs> I find semen interesting. Are you okay with that? <laughs> semen hating son of a bitch. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, you know what? I went with Endurance. And then I switched to Discovery 1. <laughs> and then back to Endurance. But I ended up landing on Discovery 1. Um, That's all we needed, Josh. For, for <laughs> utilization, mostly. Um, I thought the Endurance was a pretty cool ship. Uh, had a more modern design, if you will. Uh, a little, little more fresh. But the Discovery 1, I'll be damned if it didn't utilize that, that centrifugal motion. Yeah, yeah, the, it did. You know, in some excellent shots. <clears throat> Uh, I think we got more out of it. They did the EVA stuff around the ship. Um, there was just a little more time with it that was spent. Uh, and, I mean, it's just so so iconic. You sit there and you look at the uh, the pods and the, the front of the ship, the way that it opens up. I mean, all of it worked. It, it was it was functional. Um, so you're, in, you're keeping the EVA pod with the Discovery I'm one? I'm taking the whole package. Okay, Everything whole package. the Discovery okay. one encompasses. Because that EVA mm-hmm. pod is pretty cool. I like, yeah, I like it's, that. It's iconic. It is. It is. Um, and I, I think that that's all one part package. of the Discovery. And, yeah. and it's those those shots inside the centrifuge when he's running and working out and doing the shadow boxing stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's great stuff. Uh, you know, the, the endurance simulates artificial gravity uh, through the spin, but they really don't put it through its paces like Kubrick did with the Discovery one. I think that so comes in with, with great it. camera work, too. Really. Uh, it, <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> so there's a few main ships here. We had the Endurance Interstellar. We had Discovery 1 2001. We had the Circular Space Station in 2001. And we had the EVA pod. Which is also awesome. That yeah. My runner yeah. up. Um, so I'm going with one that I didn't mention. All right. I'm, so, breaking this, so breaking this down, I wanted to go with something that I thought was cool. Something I would want to pilot. Okay, something I would want to hang out. I want to pilot any fucking one of these, man. Now check it out, though. I'm going Interstellar, and I'm going with uh, one of the two Rangers. Okay, so oh nice. They take it to Planet Miller. 
you know, and it almost gets destroyed by um, a tidal wave. It's a planetary recon ship, um, powered it's air jets, cool. moving external parts, <laughs> very slick design. Like, if you told me I could pilot that son of a bitch, I'd be flying all over the fucking place. I thought the Ranger looked cool. And when I'm watching Interstellar, that's the first thing I'm like, dude, I want to fly this thing. It looked like something out of Star Wars, though. It did. You know what? It's actually very interesting. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I was thinking, I was like, damn, we have this guy named Colin Trevorrow that's coming in to direct um, episode nine for Star Wars. He directed Jurassic Park, like Jurassic World, right? And I'm like... Get fucking Christopher Nolan to direct a Star Wars movie because the fucking Ranger <laughs> looks slick as hell. It moved like that though. It Plan- did. Very planetary. It it how yeah. it pilots. I thought the Ranger was slick as shit, man. Um, so if I have to, I can combine that with the Endurance <laughs> since I think because it, I think it, it well, scores right there. The the same, really, so. No, the yeah. Ranger is cool. Uh, it's functional. It's modern. It's you know. It'd be fun to fly. <laughs> it, that was also on my list. So I went there. So that's the ship I'd hang out in. Um, best astronaut. Uh, this was easy for me. I went with Cooper and Interstellar. Okay. Uh, for several reasons. For one, he he had a fucking personality. Uh, he did a lot more. It seemed like he cared. I mean, he had more at stake too than uh, anybody else did. But he he knew what he was doing. Uh, he just rode with it, and he was very well. With a few exceptions, he was very intelligent. Know how and what he was doing. Uh, didn't rely on his robot too much. I, to me, it was just easy. I had to go with Cooper. Okay. I went with David Bowman. And he didn't do anything. Well, I disagree. He did exactly what an astronaut does. He he was the the mission commander. He you know he ran the ship. Obviously, Hal was the one that they communicated with. He was in charge of the Discovery One. But Cooper was a great pilot. I don't know if I'd call him a great astronaut. He was kind of playing catch up. Uh, the this actual scientists on the ship were calling most of the shots, giving him the science. He's just saying, well, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Responding to the information they were giving him. That is the only reason that Cooper got edged out, because he was definitely more fun to listen to. He had, you know, depth as a character. Cooper didn't Cooper's even, bigger. Cooper didn't even know what a fucking wormhole is. I've won watching science fiction movies for like fucking, <laughs> what, 30 years, and I know what a fucking basic, basic wormhole is. Bowman you know? did cool things. Two, uh-huh. two cool things, okay? He got, him, got his ass Bowman back Bowman follows protocols. Ship. He's very mechanical. Mechanical is the word they and, use and to describe them. Mechanical is boring. And he disassembled that. How does Cooper not even know what a fucking basic wormhole is? They, they do the paper and I didn't say he was the smartest. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not. Okay. I'll, I'll agree but, with you there. But he was the smartest. <laughs> when you're talking about an astronaut, you're talking about someone who is trained in their craft. And Bowman knew the ship, knew the protocols. Yeah. I mean, he he, he, he gave he, orders he and most of the time they didn't work out the for him. scientist wow. aspect of <laughs> it. Like, and Cooper did a lot, too. He was obviously very smart. He was very intelligent. But more than anything, he was a likable character rather than a functional character. <clears throat> he was a great pilot. We get that. You know, that badass line match the match the speed of the endurance uh, using our retro boosters and then I think Taurus says that's impossible he says no it's necessary yeah. what a badass <laughs> moment see I'm great that. pilot but I don't know if I'd call him a great astronaut because that that goes to an entire different scope uh, EVAs and understanding the science of what they're working on he was just the driver yeah. that was why he, Cooper got edged out for me and I went with David Bowman yeah, he knows dust is coordinates to fucking NASA, but he doesn't know the basic function of a worm. I feel that part was put in there just to explain to your 
more, you know, exactly. I don't. Yeah, that's exposition. Your normal movie. You know, goer, a little bit of exposition. What a yeah. wormhole is. Which is an important <laughs> distinction to make with why the fuck <laughs> are these two movies being compared? Yeah, and two thousand one doesn't hold your fucking hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I've watched that movie. I don't know yeah. how many times, and I I still don't understand. Yeah. Now, if an astronaut is waking up on a space habitat, not even saying goodbye to your grandkids, and then going off and searching for space pussy. Then I'd give it to Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you don't like Interstellar. <laughs> no, I actually like Interstellar. I uh, we'll get into it. I couldn't. Uh, let me start by saying for best astronaut, I don't like Cooper. Okay, I think he has some good quotes, um, but for the most part, I don't like Very Cooper. Cool um, I went with David Bowman as well. I don't think he's the the most intelligent, but we don't have to see that he's. I don't know. I think you can tell there's some intelligence there. I mean, he's he's dealing with how. He, you know, he um, he has a, he has an interesting that's the thing with two thousand and one. That entire segment with David Bowman is predicated upon how doing everything for them. It, it, it's not about lack of intelligence. It's about that they they they've given up. Yeah, their I'm, role. I'm more interested in his interactions with Hal entering the Stargate. Becoming the star child. If I have to take, and he completed the mission, and he completes the mission. You know, yeah. his entire crew. He completes the mission. By a rogue AI. He didn't no, really he have to do it. anything. Though. But let me. Okay, <laughs> let me. Let me say something about that real quick. Um, well, he recovered the module from the. Well, he said the a, dish. Couple, a couple of things, but he he did the electronic stuff, looking through the whole and thing. You saw him using his his intelligence. This will come into play later, but I'll, I'll shed a little bit of light on this now. Like, how long has has he been on this mission? With with Frank at the beginning of this movie, I think his name is Frank, isn't it? The other astronaut. Make that clear. I mean, they've been up there for a while. I don't know when the Discovery one launched. We know it's eighteen months from uh-huh. the time the monolith. I think it said. I remember something like three signal. months or something like that. I remember yeah, they've I think been it up. Did. I think it's like three months. If Wayne, if you and I were on a spaceship for three months, we would talk about movies. We would talk about pussy. We would talk about all kinds <laughs> of stuff, right? After oh, yeah. three months, it's going to be work related. <laughs> Okay, there's not a lot of movie than pussy out. <laughs> there's not a lot of dialogue happening. Done. So his interactions are mostly with Hal fixing the ship and just you know he doesn't even know what his fucking mission is you know. Um, but when it when if, if I'm taking his astronaut arc, um, I do like his interactions with Hal. I like you know um, the the going into the Stargate and evolving into the Star Child. So with this though, I just didn't like Cooper. So I went with him with him as a uh, David Bowen Bowman as my astronaut. So that takes us to best. Screen duo. Uh, again, I went with Interstellar, uh, Cooper, and Brand. They made a great fucking team. She was definitely the smarter of the two. You know, you almost had a scientist and, you know, a physical, you know, get things done kind of person put together. And they were a great fucking team. Throughout, I mean, they, you know, they didn't even really get along that well. You know, very two different, you know, two yeah, very different people. They made it work. And they, they, they literally made everything work. Without them, the whole thing would have been fucked. What, you know, that wasn't where it fucked to begin with. But they, they just, they persevered through everything. And I thought that was amazing. Oh, yeah, and they had personality. <laughs> For this one, I could have easily gone with Moonwatcher and The Bone in the beginning of the Dawn Man sequence. That would have been awesome. But what I inevitably did was I went with Dave... Bowman and Hal 9000. Because that is the only choice. It is the only choice. <laughs> Other than, than you're very respectful. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. they, they I'm sorry, I, I like movies where shit happens. <laughs> I like where they, where they talk. And the interactions. Use, there's not just music. <laughs> the interactions between them are fucking are, they're, great. They're, 
I mean, if you can go ahead and throw this out there, the, the interaction <laughs> between Dave and Hal are fucking pantheon. Yeah, no, I the, the, fucking the conversation is taking place. The uh, second act is when, my when favorite Dave, out of the three acts for sure. Second act, yeah, with Hal and you know the, the discovery one. That the third, no, that third would be Stargate. Really? Yeah, I would. I would say third because the first is you know like the the astronaut. Well. First act would be um, Dawn of Man, and then the astronauts going to the moon. Second act would be Hal and um, David. So your your third act would be with, uh, yeah. That's what I would say. <clears throat> but the, when, but regardless, when, when Dave sits down <laughs> and Hal asks to see his pictures, that is a fantastic moment, and he asks him to hold it closer, and you just see this relationship. But then you see you see the human being just. Controlled, and how has some neuroses going on? You know, he's he, he's unsure that this this human wants to have a conversation with him. He wants to be accepted. And you start seeing those little those little ticks, those little things develop in how and Dave and how all the way through that progression. I mean, there is so much going on with this monotone voice coming out of the computer system. So much growth is happening. <clears throat> there's there's nothing like that between these two movies that touches on David. That was a great scene. I won't argue with that. But all in all, I, I still got to go with yeah. There's there's three scenes that I have to break down with um with David and with with Hal, um and that's with um Hal denying David entry back into Discovery One. That is yep. That is hardcore. If you're thinking about this astronaut, he's out in the EVA pod. And he can't get back. He's going to die out there in that EVA pod if he cannot talk in this there. AI into letting him, you know, get the fuck in that ship, you know. And he's like, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. That is fucking scary. Um, that, the disconnection of Hal. Yep. Where he it's goes inside scene. and it's that, the red background. He goes into the processing um, the, the processing core and he starts breaking them down. He's like, I can feel it, Dave. I can feel it, you know. Starts I, singing that. Uh, Daisy song yeah. and everything starts fading out. <laughs> And then, you know, earlier when Frank and David are talking about um, disconnecting Hal and, you know, Hal is reading their lips, you know, I'm like, that's, it's, it's perfection. So all three of those right there, those, those main three interactions right there, that is why I gave Dave and Hal my best um, duo. So that takes us to best villain antagonist. Um, this one, I, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, I went with Dr. Floyd. Uh, this guy was an arrogant prick. You know, you can tell from the moment you see him, when he's talking to his daughter, even. Doctor who? Doctor Floyd. Doctor Floyd. Haywood Floyd. Oh, okay, okay, go. Uh, he's like, oh, uh, no, I'll be missing your birthday. Is there any special present I can get you? Oh, I'd love a telephone, Daddy. You've got enough of those. Anything special you'd like? <laughs> oh, I'd love a bush, baby. Well, we'll see about that. Anything special you'd like? <laughs> okay, and then he goes in. He That's talks your to best you. villain? Yeah, like, there really wasn't any... Villains, I think. Oh, 9,000! He was doing what he felt like he had to do to save the mission. Because this mission was so important. that You know, they're not really 100% sure what it is, but he had that importance of getting the job done. And he was willing to do what it took to get the job done. And see, well, okay. He killed okay. the I, entire crew. He, he's not even a, a person. No, I would he's say... A, you know, I mean, he... I think... I But, but that, that's the enti- that entire segment <clears throat> of the film screams that he is. He's begging not to be disconnected. He is He is talking about his inception, his birth, when he came to life, the moment when he started to to, to be this machine with a soul. Well, see, I don't He's think he petitioning was uh, inherently salvation. evil. He, he was just doing what he felt like he had but to do. Pro- yeah. What he was told to do. Kind, he was yeah, lying to. Kind of. I don't is think he was... Pro- I, I think that he was programmed to lie to the astronauts and by 
becoming kind of human. It was fucking with his yes, his with his, 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 his program. I, I think if somebody would have went to Hal and said, "Hey, he tweaked Hal, his algorithm enough it, that he came to life from it." Yeah. I, I don't think I don't think he, I, I think they would have said, "Hey, Hal, all these people here, uh, do you want to let them live or do you want to kill them?" I think he would have said, "Well, no, I want these people to live." But because he was told certain things, he he did what was wrong, yeah. but he didn't feel it was I, wrong because this mission was so important, and if this is what's got to be done, I, I regret it, but I'm going to do I it. I think Hal's a very interesting antagonist, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a villain either. Yeah. Fun antagonist. It was hard for me to really even find a villain. I, I felt like Dr. Floyd, villains. he was holding things back that didn't need to be held back. It was his fault, I think, that... Watcher was a villain. He killed the ape around the water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough there. But I felt like he's the one who's got it by his wires crossed. Uh, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. This mission could have gone smoother and a hell of a lot less deaths if Dr. Floyd had come clean with everybody. So I felt like he was the true villain in it. Okay. That's an interesting mm-hmm. concept. I'll, I'll give you that. He was a just, specialist. He knew everything exactly. about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what specialists do. <laughs> um, I, and obviously I went with HAL 9000. Uh, and there's something really special about a robot. Yeah, Fuck yeah. An AI, <laughs> an AI petitioning for its life, begging for its life in a monotone voice, saying Such things like, I I know that I've made some bad choices recently, but I really think that if you you, you sit down and take a stress pill and think about it, everything... You know, and you, that is begging. You just... It's hard to tell because he... Yeah, but that's not he, evil. He Anybody would beg for the life of but, they were but, die. But he did, in fact, if you channel human emotions, what you would expect that conversation to typically sound like, into how and understand that he knew what he was doing and he still did it. He very clearly comes out as an antagonist in that entire section of the film. Yeah, he made the choice to kill people that were asleep. They didn't even, you know, the two guys, uh, Poole and Bowman, hung out in the pod and had the conversation. He did the lip reading and found out they were going to disconnect him. So he has reason to have animosity towards them. A computer making that assessment has a reason, but he killed the three in the pods too. That was cold-blooded. It just decided that those humans had no need to live. That is cold and clearly makes him an antagonist for me. Yeah, yeah. And a yeah really he's he's a really... If I would have looked at... Because I always try to... That's that's a very good point, Josh. I, I always try to look at everything as villain first and then more of an as antagonist. So I like that. I didn't even think about you know going with Halford as an antagonist. This, 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 2001 is full of human nature concepts uh-huh. about pushing the boundary of what what is evil... I guess, and and what is natural progression? I mean, you look at in the beginning, you got all those uh, man apes sitting around peacefully eating the bushes with these animals hanging out around them. And the first time he picks up that bone, they're beating them over the head. Now they're eating raw meat, and he goes back to the watering hole because he realizes now he can establish dominance in a way that nobody's going to be able to fight back. He's the only one wielding that. <clears throat> that is that's a concept of. Progress, yeah. not necessarily evil, and but survival progress. instincts too. Right? And, and survival instincts, and that's exactly what Hal goes through. He goes through the throes of self-preservation, and it is it led him to some terrible decisions. Yeah. I love oh, yeah. Hal is, is a great character. I he love was, and he was, ter- I mean, he was terrified. It's almost like he went from infancy to adult uh-huh. throughout this. And like I said, I think he was just scared. I don't think he did anything out of evil. I, I would agree with you that. Know, it, I would agree with so that. I, that's, some, why, that's the only reason why. Because I thought about doing Hal. I really did. But because of that, I really had to think about it. And 
I, I just couldn't write it. You know, there's a, there's something so scary about the silence of space and then that monotone AI voice. It, it is, is so creepy yeah. to me. so special. And then classical music on top of that in the background. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, for mine, I actually thought about our Watchmen uh, conversation. Um, I went with Professor John Brand from Interstellar um, for The Unforgivable Lie. It reminded me of Ozymandias where... Mm-hmm. Um, instead of giving us a chance, he kind of condemns us to a dying earth, you know, like with, cause he had plan A and plan B, but plan A was never in the cards. Um, so for that unforgivable lie, I, I put him as my main villain. Um, but doctor, really? Yeah. Well, what do you think? Cause that's just like Ozymandias, like Ozymandias creates a, yeah, they made the decision. For he, he made, he, so he's making a decision for, for Cooper and everyone else on that ship. I would argue that the difference there is that Ozymandias Killed 15 million people. <laughs> what was he going to kill? To manufacture he, a lie. But he whereas gives, Brand just accepted the truth. Did he? And knew that he needed to keep hope alive but, in the air. But by condemning us and by making that decision for us, what happens? Murph comes in and she creates plan A. So he gave up on on his plan. He gave up on humanity in general. Murph comes in and she finds the... The gravi- gravitational theory for propulsion and... She didn't. She didn't, though. Yes, yeah, she did. No, she, she didn't. didn't. She was given the information necessary that Brand, if Brand had it, mm-hmm. if Brand saw any possible way to see into a singularity and get the information they need to extrapolate the answer uh-huh. and create that solution... Then Plan A would have Then but, he would have had... But plan A was on. his. Plan yeah. yeah. A was Brand. But he, gave, he just knew we didn't have what it needed. They couldn't but see she, through the black hole over, right. the, over the yeah, horizon. Yeah. But she kept on pushing it. So there was a chance. There was a chance all along for a plan A. Just because he couldn't see it, he lost hope in that plan A. And she kept hope alive. Well, I know, I think, but the, the truth is, though, that Brand recognized there's no conceivable way, no human way for us to get into a black hole based upon the information we have. If Cooper hadn't gone into that other dimension and sent that through for Morse code, plan A would have been a shame. Like nobody would have known shit. You're, you're talking about something that's happening on a level. <clears throat> so far above what we were able to comprehend, mm-hmm. these uh, little anomalies, these gravitational anomaly, anomalies and manipulations that were happening, they thought they were some sort of beings out there that were pointing us towards safety, yeah. not necessarily but, educating us in that way and leading us to a black hole where we're going to get the information. I mean, he made a really logical choice. Yeah, but why lie? To your crew, like, because you look at the Lazarus mission, right? The Lazarus mission, I think all, tw- I think there was 12 of them on the Lazarus mission. I think all of them knew that there was no plan A. Um, you look at Dr. Mann, when when they all get there, he's like, oh, there was no fucking plan A. There was never a plan A. <laughs> Man knew. Yeah, man knew. I bet you all Brand's of them daughter knew. daughter didn't. No, no, no. I'm talking about the original 12 on the oh. Lazarus mission. I think all of them knew that there was no plan A. So why lie to Cooper and everyone right. else on this but mission let's, let's, and let's stealing stealing their lives? Okay, why why do you take the former that the farmer just falls on your doorstep? Why can't you go find another 12? Why can't you go find another NASA pilot? Why don't you go find someone else that you can just that lines up with your way of thought and is like, hey, there's no plan A. I need you to sacrifice yourself and go out there. He literally stole a whole crew. He stole their life. And that's fucking unforgivable. Especially if you're that guy that's, you know, loses all that time, comes up and has that that you know conversation with your daughter, loves 23 years. Uh, I think it's a very years. different degree of lie than what Ozymandias did. I think that's a, a, a rough comparison for me to process because Ozymandias killed people. Uh-huh. Whereas Brand accepted the only solution that he had available to him, knowing that he couldn't complete the, the problem, 
without the information that shows what happens inside of the singularity. He was never going to get that. He knew that he was never going to get that. Well, what do you think about Dr. Mann? Do you think he's a villain? I think he'd be far closer to being a villain than Dr. Yeah. Brand. Well, check this out. I think Dr. Mann was selfish and a coward, but what was he ultimately trying to do? He was going to take the endurance because... Keep fuck, the secret. But you know, no, he wasn't... But not even I'm going to swing secret, back check to this out. he killed someone. Who? He attempted to kill he someone. He attempted, but... I guess that just oh, depends he, on... He made, maybe he did. I, I couldn't no, tell if that robot was booby-trapped to blow up yeah. if somebody tried yeah, yeah. to access but, it. But check this out. It looks at your... I guess that's your point of view because he wasn't trying to go back home. He knew that, you know, home was going to be doomed, right? Um, but he knew that uh, Cooper was going to go back home. And he was like, no, I'm going to take the, um, the fucking ship and I'm going to go to Edmonds and I'm going to plant these... You know, I'm going to start a colony there. Was that the best decision he could have made for human life? If Earth is doomed and he's going to start up an own, his own colony, that was his mission all along. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Yeah. And, and if you're comparing but if, what if, Brand did to what Man did, I'm going to say Brand comes out on top because he didn't try to kill someone. I mean, you're talking about Brand being a villain because he stole Cooper's opportunity yeah. to hang out with his kids for 10 more years before they all suffocate. Whereas Man's like, I'm going to steal the opportunity for you to hang out with your kids by fucking pushing you off a cliff. Yeah. And letting you die. I mean, if your argument is that they did the same thing, one of them went I, a degree further. I do think, though, by telling everybody that you're working on that mass exodus from Earth and that you're working on that plan A and not giving anybody else a chance to come up with, with any kind of mass exodus or any, any other plan, just to say that his is the only plan, I think, is very short-sighted. It's a stark reality, though, that NASA needs resources. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you tell people to start coming up with solutions and exercising ingenuity, their focus becomes not on manufacturing resources. It's what Cooper wanted to do. Yeah. Cooper didn't want to be a farmer. He wanted to be doing the science and the high-tech stuff and be a pilot and be an explorer and all those things. But... If he stopped farming, um, how much of the human and, race suffers? And, it was all about yeah. control. And I'm they not, were lying through propaganda. They were changing history. And I'm not saying it's not a, it's not the Earth we know. Yeah, yeah it was a whole definitely. And, a different and I'm reality. not saying that it absolutely was. I'm not saying that Doctor Man isn't an asshole. He's not a villain. He's not an antagonist. But I am saying that if he thinks that Cooper is going to take the endurance, go back to Earth, then there's no chance of taking all those embryos and starting up a colony, which is the only piece of so of, of humanity man, left, you know man told the ultimate lie uh -oh. by sending back false information and telling them this place yeah. is habitable they showed up they expended their resources if his motivations were the salvation of the human race and not some type of delusion mm -hmm. that was manufactured and built into him out of the fear of death that he clearly had when he put himself to sleep and thought he was never going to see anybody again, he sent a beacon that says, come here, this is our new home. That's the ultimate lie. And then when they get there, he doesn't even say, whoa, sorry guys, I lied, but thanks for coming to pick me up. He tries to kill them <laughs> yeah, yeah. in order to avoid telling them. You know what? That he actually told them I'm going to switch lie. up on you. I'm gonna, I think I might switch to Dr. Man, but because of what you said, but do you guys also see if, as Dr. Man as kind of a reverse Hal? Hal is the most intelligent on the ship. Dr. Man is the most intelligent the astronaut. Yeah. Hal kills the humans in the bay, right? Who does Dr. Man kill first? The AI. Yeah. 
He kills. I, I, I he kills. His, I, he, I don't he really remember his why he dismantled. Yeah. Uh, his his. Uh, but it's there. like their their roles are flopped, flip flopped. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit. Kind of okay. reminded me of Hal. I'm gonna go with Doctor Man. Well, if they are mirror images of one another, aren't they a little bit? Hal is definitely better than Man. <laughs> no, exactly. Just go throw that no, out but there. I will say, I mean, if if you do have a lie with Doctor Man, who does that lie start with? You know, his boss is the one that sent him off and told him that there was never going to be a Plan A. You know, so the guy that he worked for, I think that lie starts there. But I do think um, after talking to he already had Dr. that Man, little bit of despair built into him there, though. You know, that's, that's probably what started that spiral is that he had that information when he got there. There is no plan A. And then he realizes, I'm on, not on an inhabitable planet. So I'm now I'm not, supposed to, I'm not <laughs> supposed to send this message that says, this is a good place. I'm supposed to send the one that says, stay away. There is no plan A. And I'm fucked for plan B. And then he turned into a coward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lies yeah, and sent the he information I I watch this through their only chance at saving yeah. the human race to his I do think John, to save his own I ass. do think Brand or Dr. Man are both better villains than Floyd, though. Because he wouldn't let his daughter have a bush. <laughs> you know what I think? <laughs> no, I, I do like Dr. I'm going to go with Dr. Man. I still think an asshole thing to do is giving that... that that false hope and an unforgivable lie. But Dr. Man is selfish. He's a coward. But, man, it, it is tricky, though, because, I mean, he was... If, if he would have if he would have started that colony and they wouldn't have made it back, would he be a hero? I'm just going to throw this out there. Would, would he be a hero? <clears throat> if, if, if Cooper would have went back... If the truth wasn't told, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. what if the truth was told? He's like, this fucking asshole wanted to go back to a dying earth... But the reason your whole family's here is because I stole the fuck, I killed the motherfucker, I took the endurance, and I built a fucking colony for the human race. But I'll admit the part of this story where they could have just left me to die, like I told everyone I was going to do, and gone straight to Edmund's planet, and everything would have worked out hunky fucking And he is the smartest fucking person, they say, right? He tricked all them motherfuckers, okay? And he was going to start a colony. Okay, he would have been the so, fucking president. We're on, a fucking oh, board. He was a villain. <laughs> I'm just not sure he's better than how. <laughs> All right, I'm going Dr. Man. Because um, I mean, you're talking about the same things. You're talking about self-preservation. Yeah. That was the motivation both. for both Hal and Don't you think man, is, and man and Hal are very it's comparable? It's an interesting comparison, yeah. sure. But Hal is far more interesting Yeah, for than, sure. Than Matt man. Damon. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's go to best hero. I thought Wayne was going to go out for a smoke break on that one. <laughs> well, now that I'm done playing with my nuts... <laughs> I'm going to regret this one, I'm fucking sure. <laughs> but best hero, I went with Cooper, Interstellar. Oh, now, he, risked, <laughs> he risked his life several <laughs> times yeah. to accomplish this mission. Even when he knew things were fucked, yeah. he still kept going. He risked his life to save others. He risked his life for his kids. He was just constantly you know, risking himself for, for the, you know, the greater good. Okay. Joseph Cooper. You want Cooper? All the reasons he just said. Okay. I mean, he he was the he was the one that held it together. The con- hero, right? He left Earth and his kids to save them. His daughter had a difficult time processing that and understanding that, but his motivations were as pure as they could possibly yeah. be. <laughs> Knowing that NASA's telling him you're the only one that can pilot this ship. Seeing as how the rest of the world doesn't even believe we landed on everyone the fucking else, <laughs> Everyone else is untrained. You are the most qualified. This is a ship you've already piloted. So he he takes that responsibility. He leaves. He gets there. Brand has a relationship with Edmund, so he has to make the decision. 
He makes the hard decision mm-hmm. to tell her we're not going after love. We're going after practical possibility. And man is the best of all of us, right? So we're clearly going to follow his beacon that shows great promise. All that makes sense. So he's making all the right decisions. He's just not being fed the right information exactly. because you're a yeah. fucking villain. <laughs> he's being a the douche. Double himself. <laughs> I do want to give a runner-up real quick to the Lazarus mission. Those fucking guys, 12 of them, didn't know if they were going to um, a, a planet that would, uh, would, would be habitable. Shot into the fucking darkness. It's like <laughs> this is like Russian roulette, man. Like maybe one or two of you, but the other you're just gonna die in the dark. You know, I agree. That's fucking crazy. It was a cool concept. That's yeah, cool concept. Lazarus Even Doyle says that bravery fueled the Lazarus expedition. Members do the unlikelihood of ever being rescued. You know, but they still went on that mission. Um, I thought that was great. Um, I went with Murph though. Uh, Murph, no one believed her when it came up to the dust or the the, gra- the mm-hmm. gravity, the ghost in her room, you know. And um, she, but even when she found out that Plan A was a sham, she she kept on pushing. She went back to the farmhouse. She stuck to her guns about you know the ghost in the room and and you know pretty much listened to her her figured out the, the which her was ghost, Cooper, <laughs> which was Cooper, yeah. But it was her keeping on going back after people told her what she was doing was pretty much stupid. There's no ghost, you and know. It's spending three decades being a shit to her dad who was trying to save his her life. And Yeah, but and by... Murph gets under my skin. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> yeah. But plan A was completed with, you know, her and Cooper. It was almost like a, a dual thing here. But, and then ultimately... Yeah, the dad she shit on the whole time. Yeah. And then, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Cooper. Fuck. Okay, we'll talk... Okay, you know how she shit on her dad? I think he shit on his fucking son. He has a 10-minute conversation with her about how he's gonna leave, and for the only thing he does with her is slaps him on the back and says, I'll have the truck back to you, son. I'll have him drive the truck back to you. Yeah, he, does the, he does the strong dad son. I'm gonna have 10 minutes conversation with each of my kids, dude. I'm gonna have a, that same conversation with my son. Dude, I love you. Grow his up to be a man. His son was prepared to take on that responsibility. His son yeah. turned into a that fucking maniac at the end. He did. Yeah. It was no nurturing from his dad. That's the thing about Interstellar. That attitude that you get from Casey Affleck's character is completely and utterly ripped straight out of the Dust Bowl. You had families uh-huh. that lived there in that time period that their children are dying from what they call dust pneumonia. Yeah. And they refuse to fucking leave. This is my home. Uh-huh. Who cares that we destroyed the land and it is now trying to kill us? I'm not fucking going yeah. anywhere. That attitude was written in the Casey Affleck character to... But as a, but okay, but I cannot connect with a father just like <laughs> I would never do that to my son Connor. I would not be like, dude, I'm gonna have the Kia. I'm gonna have them drive the Kia back to you. Okay, I'm gonna be off to space. I'm gonna take care of the house. I'd be like, dude, you know, here's the things I expect from you. Here's how you be a man. I love you, dude. You know, uh, I'm gonna have that conversation with both of them. It's like he didn't give two fucks about his son. You know, and just uh, with, I felt like it was an endearing dude. Goodbye. Even even on this ship, you know, it's like he. Too. He gets he has a uh, a one on one like he gets the most the most of the messages from um, um, his daughter. It seems like he's more upset about than his son. Which he, he well, they left on hard she, terms. I mean, his daughter. Wait, I give a shit about both of my kids. Him. And his son accepted it, understood why he was going and what he was doing. 
I just don't want, I don't want to like he was up to Cooper and his kids. He didn't have sense. one <laughs> with his son. I thought anyway, Murph was overreacting, the, and at some point yeah. he'd grow out of that. The only reason like he spent that, that much time with Murph is because she was throwing a shit fit. Otherwise, he wouldn't have. He would have done the same thing. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. It would have been as... So, wrong goddamn answer, Brad. No, man. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, and I, Ryan Smith, Bill and Ryan Smith and I both watched Well, Ryan Smith ain't fucking here, is he? No, but dude, <laughs> I'll have him call in, and I'll erase what you had to say for him. <laughs> Ryan, you're wrong. <laughs> no, but it's like, I, I'm just, I don't buy that relationship at all I between do. him and his son. Um, I don't like it, but it does fit with that mentality. What mentality? You've got to grow up and grow up quick and not let emotions get in your way in order to fucking survive. That kind of mentality. Yep. The hate, I, let's keep this simple. I don't know how you guys were raised, that's... but I turned into a pretty good kid, and that wasn't how I was You raised. didn't grow up in the Dust Bowl. Exactly. No, but I grew up and in a shithole. That, that <laughs> What's worse, the shithole or the Dust Bowl? Dust Bowl. <laughs> dust Bowl? <laughs> I assure you. Okay, I do want to say... Um, I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's not. You know what I mean? But it was an unfortunate necessity. Yeah. He didn't give a fuck about his kids. Anyway, <laughs> so disagree with you, dude. He drove them through. Okay, you guys both I, have you guys both have newborn kids, right? Yeah. Would you drive them through a fucking cornfield chasing a drone? That's a rough comparison because he didn't would drive you? newborns through a field. No, he, he's, he's would, you, would you drive yeah, your these oldest teenagers, through a cornfield <laughs> so, at 60 miles an hour? I, I think that's an interesting would you, discussion. Would you, you drive your, your oldest through a cornfield <laughs> pedal to the metal? Yeah. If I had his character <laughs> archetype, yes, his I character, His character's a fucking maniac. He's an explorer. If I knew he, my kid could be yeah. before he thinks. There's, he saw a piece of technology that mimics a world he misses and loves, and he turned and drove after it. I'm glad He's Columbus didn't drive the whole through a fucking... He also knows that right that's a, a resource. That's a resource that his farm can benefit from, and he is capable of seizing it. That you want movie, to talk about what a wonderful person Columbus was? <laughs> yeah, right. That movie should be done right there. They almost go over a cliff. You don't know if there's a combine in that fucking Wouldn't that have been film? great the end? The end. <laughs> so let's go follow this drone over the cliff. <laughs> I had zero problem with that entire scene. Really? No. I, I, I cannot get behind. Like, he's reckless. Really he really hates the he's, way he loves it's his completely, children. It's completely <laughs> risky. You just can't grasp that. I mean, and I get it. I'm not saying yeah. it's right. The relationship it's not. doesn't. It doesn't but I get it. I, I can grasp it. Yeah, I, can I, don't, I, I can't connect with that at all. I totally disagree I, with as that. As a parent... But, I wouldn't make half the decisions that he makes in this movie. Well, I wouldn't either. I can't condone it. So, so you know how you said that Murph gets on your nerves? Mm-hmm. Cooper gets under my skin. I so thought it was great. I, I, I can't stand him. Um, but because since my hero was Murph, okay, I wanted to bring up something real quick, okay, and just hit on it. Um, because it connects, um, you know, the fifth, dimension, the fifth dimension at the end here where we have Cooper and we have uh, Murph and they're kind of, you know, together this duo helps save humanity, okay? Um... The fifth dimension or Tesseract. I have a big problem with that being in her fucking bedroom. I did it first until the second time I watched uh, that. It did seem almost a little. Well, I told my wife today. I go. I go. I think. I think one of my what the fucks is going to be that the fifth dimension evolved human race. Put a fucking. Put the, the window into her bedroom. So that way he no, could... No, it had to be in her fucking bedroom. You can write this scene a thousand and one ways. You're not going to put where it in the kitchen. Where the fuck is she going to be most of the time? In the goddamn kitchen? Find the fucking in the kitchen. goddamn shit anybody could find exactly. that watch. She had to find that watch. Where is she most of the time where it's just 
Oh, bullshit! You can all goddamn family oh, gather in the that. bathroom for a public you shitting. Can, you know, you're what? telling me the only place you bed. can write the fifth dimension is in a little girl's bedroom for her to find that watch to make it. Your creativity is yes. Your creativity. It's not about creativity. It's about practicality. No, no, no. You're she cre- has to find the watch. You want that boy to find the watch? Goddamn. Holy fuck! He can put two together. Your creativity is as thin as. Fucking there has to be creativity. It, it's to serve a point. How many okay. mills is this paint that we're talking about? Fucking skinny, dude. <laughs> okay, let's just say, hey, let's put it on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Really, how the hell is no, she going to connect with The bedroom is chosen for a very obvious reason. Yes, it's, thank you. It's her, it's oh my her God. place. It, it, you guys are interested in screenplays, no, right? When, when and how you can break down up, a screenplay. When you're growing up, you're given a, you're given a place, But it right? serves a purpose. Oh, if there hadn't been a purpose to for go it, where you can yeah, location, it's fucking freaky. Locations but, are interchangeable, and there's different ways you can approach the scene with a fifth dimension. You can get so creative of bringing in Tesseracts and fifth dimensions, but you can't get more creative from a screenplay standpoint than fucking peering in to a little girl's bedroom from the fucking future from an evolved human race. Just That's so the she, best we got. So he could communicate with her directly. Nobody was peering into the bedroom. Too, is, she gonna, is she going to reminisce How did in her brother's room? Gave him, they gave him access to a location they knew she would frequent. How, yes, a exactly. A child was in their bedroom all, more than they're anywhere else. How? That's the simple truth. No, no. All you have to have is something falling, for some some dust falling in a fucking corner by the old Christmas tree on Christmas Day. And she goes over there. Those people oh, oh, got a goddamn Christmas tree? April and thought. that's where <laughs> she's going to sit there the whole time? That's, no, no. That's I'm saying there's there's a, there can be a sincere location that means something to her that she can go to that isn't her fucking bedroom. I was talking to my wife yeah, about I it. I could have written it on Pride Rock or some shit like that. <laughs> I was <laughs> talking to my wife and she's like... Her bedroom is a pretty logical choice. My wife likes Interstellar better than 2001, okay? She told me... I was telling her I was, what my thoughts on this were, you know, this evolved human race, you know, uh, building the fifth dimension. And she's like, it was a library. I'm like, it wasn't a library. It's something... There, I was like... <laughs> it looked like it because <laughs> on that side... Well, did anybody notice the, the stand... Uh, the, the book yeah, yeah, the book okay. was on it. But I'm like, she's like, it was a library. I'm like, no. She's like, yeah, it was, it was, li- it was the books. It was library. I'm like, no, it was her bedroom. It was like, her bedroom. That's disgusting. You know? So I'm but, like, but it served, if there was no point to it, they're okay, a little there, fucking weird. These, these they're not they're they're beings, but there you have was to, a, it was, it was a huge point. To communicate with his child. The carpenters aren't in this room, but someone built this and it took them a while to build this studio. So my meaning, the point here is fucking your alien race, your energy balls, your fucking you're evolved also, humans. They built that room. You're making this assessment based upon the idea that it had to be constructed rather than um, blinked into existence through manipulation. I think there's a better, I'm just going to say, I think there's a better place than put it in a fucking bedroom. Fucking pedophiles is that, what I'm saying. doesn't bother me at all. It bothers me. <laughs> all right, so that, um, that in fact never once crossed my fucking mind. You know, I'll be honest. Go watch it to me first. Go watch it again now with that in your head. And, and then when, when I watched the ending and watched how things came together, it made sense. It didn't make sense. All right, that takes us to. Can I let you see the evil and everything, Brad? <laughs> um, that takes us to best kill or death, right? Uh, yeah, and I went with uh, two thousand one on this one. Uh, Doctor Poole getting blown out of the airlock. Just looked like a horrible, horrible way to die. That just the complete weightlessness, loneliness, uh, and, and just knowing you're gonna basically not being able to breathe. Getting blown out of the airlock. Not uh. Yeah. Well. Well. He got uh. He cuts his oxygen. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And then out he. Of the airlock. Yeah, I think the oxygen probably pushed him. Yeah. Well, just basically floating out into space and dying that way. That I mean, that's more horrendous. It wasn't quick. It was painful and just a bad, bad way yeah, to go. Yeah, it's pretty villainous. Pretty, pretty yeah, antagonistic. 
<laughs> I think I think it's something worse than Doctor Man would do. But <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> well, my best kill will be that one for fucking sure. <laughs> well, you think the evolution? <laughs> you, you you think the evolved human race are all a bunch of goddamn pedophiles? <laughs> that was a runner-up of mine. Well, thank you. The uh, human race being pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if the look at the little girls. <laughs> uh, best kill uh, runner-up was Pool. Yes. Um, getting his oxygen thing cut and drifting off into space because that sounds like fucking horrible. Way yeah. To die. <clears throat> Another runner-up I had that I, I this is the one I, I messaged you guys about. Does it have to be on screen? Was that your runner-up? You said <laughs> that was my runner-up. Okay, because you're missing the big one, dude. No, I'm not missing. Oh, the big we'll one. see. We'll, we'll see, bro. Don't say anything. But. Miller, Miller on her planet. Um, it's not. It, it, it's it's not that it's a really spectacular death, but it's a fascinating one because they land on the planet and the wreckage is still in one place, and then Bran comes to the realization that due to the time dilation, she basically just landed an hour ago and died an hour ago on this planet, and it's been that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I, I just I find that to be that really intriguing and interesting. And time dilation stuff when you start messing with that. That's my favorite part about Interstellar. Actually, yeah, oh yeah, the whole relativity. The, 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 yeah, getting mm-hmm. close to Gargantua and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, that's my but favorite part. Too, best as well. kill is Hal Nine Thousand. Fuck yeah, there it is. Ooh, <clears throat> oh, oh fascinating. Nose. He pulled some plastic things out of the wall. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a slow death. That's somebody sticking the knife in slowly. He says, "I feel my mind going. I can feel it. I can Dave. feel it. I can feel it." It was it. creepy. Sure I will give it that. It, it was his voice. Do you not like that's, how? That's what I'm talking about. I don't see the big fucking deal about it. He's so. Good. Who's your favorite? What do you want? What do you want an AI to be? What do you want him to look like? What do you want him to say? Well, what if he's going to be do? AI, I want him to have a goddamn personality like a regular human but fucking he, being. But he, but Tell me your top five AI. Tell me your but top five he, AI right now. That's his... Okay, he'd be in my top five. <laughs> that's his baby. Before others. I can't. He, he's See? So so okay, start Tars. Why isn't he your number one? Tars is... You go with Tars... Well, I guess we're going to get there, right? We're going to get there. Okay. <laughs> You guys can hate me all you want, but I'm sorry, but I like a movie How that makes sense. How my thousand death <laughs> scene is So you're going fantastic. for 2001, then? <laughs> we'll just keep on going. <laughs> he said he he's likes slowly a pulling death. those cards. Well, not death, but he's like, attacking well, yeah, his said. memory logic. Hal's <laughs> pleading for his life. I don't like you guys it's anymore. It's a monotone <laughs> voice. This it's like a monotone voice. I knew I was going to get fucked when I walked in today, man. <laughs> I think that Hal has more personality than you're giving him credit for. Fuck yeah. Because he's not... Shrieking and screaming and begging and pleading with tears. Blood all because over Because he is—he's <laughs> a voice with a single eye, and he's telling him where he's born and who who made him and this this song that he used to sing. He's doing everything he can to pull on Bowman's heartstrings to get him not to do it. I mean, and then all of that's being done in a monotone voice, and it's just a fascinating moment. It, it is creepy. I will give it. Hal is dying in that moment. And express that Daisy Bell song that he sings while he's as his, fading. As his voice slowly mm. gets slower. I don't think he was in his right mind, so to speak, at that time either. Well, no, he's pulling yeah, no, his yeah, 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 exactly. It's he just, might as well be cutting yeah. his brain out or his heart slowly. out. Slowly. You know, any of the key components that make you human, that was that room was him. That room was Hal. And he is eviscerating him, so to speak. It, it's 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 great. It's yeah, great. I, I mean, it's terrible. I will, but he deserved it because <laughs> he's yeah. a villain. He's an antagonist. <laughs> we're, we're getting long here. We're only on number six. I'll be very quick. Not much I can add to that. But entering his his processing core, I can feel it, Dave. I can feel it. You know, 
pulling him out, disconnecting him while like he's singing Daisy. It is so and, and fucking awesome. Take a stress awesome. pill and think about this. No. You'll understand. I've done a lot of bad things, but I I, I feel bad about them now. Yeah. I, mean, I think next just, time, Wayne, you should try to watch it without texting. Or jerking off. Oh, that's it. <laughs> and maybe you'll get the deeper meaning behind it. Maybe I will. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was my... I thought it was perfect. He just fading out. Um, best mission, where are you going? Well, you know, I probably chose the wrong fucking answer here. <laughs> but I think saving humanity in Interstellar was the best Which mission. Which one? Oh, so saving... Um, yeah. So Cooper and, and the Endurance? Yes. Saving, uh, saving humanity, for fuck's sake. I'm going to argue that they are the same thing. Plan A and B, the ship meeting up with the Endurance, is all the tail end of the Lazarus missions. Okay. I think that they were always meant to be connected. The okay. Lazarus missions were the probe, and then they're the salvation. So you kind of know where I'm going, then, don't you? Lazarus missions. Fuck yeah. Is that where you went? Yep. Okay. So I mean. you're connecting the two, then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. It's it, all one mission. It's a point for Interstellar, no matter what. So, um, yeah, but that's a fucking, like, okay, so, because I have, you have a couple missions here. You have 12 volunteers of the Lazarus mission uh, from Interstellar getting shot into the dark, search for a new home. Cooper and company uh, going through a wormhole, search for a new home, um, you know, uh, from the data sent back from the Lazarus mission. So if it wasn't for that Lazarus mission, you know, they wouldn't even have anything to go off of. Uh, but then you also have what Dr. Haywood Floyd's mission is to get, investigate a four million year old monolith. That's kind of cool, you know. Um, but then well, you have damn cool, yeah, damn cool. But then you have but, David Bowman. That's the last mission. David Bowman. Um, he, does, he doesn't even know his fucking mission. You know, the Lazarus missions have finality. They have a purpose. They have a goal, and it's a benevolent one. <clears throat> In two thousand and one, hey, let's go check out this black rock. Let's, <laughs> hey, yeah, let's go see what's going on. Which is fucking scary, though. Like it I is think, interesting. I, I love like that it. scene. It almost got my defining. So I'll just say, like, it almost. I'm going to throw this out uh-huh. there. What's scary about it? I, don't, I think everything. We, well, we're not the alone, mystery, the know? music, the setting, all of them. How going scary down there? is it to realize you've been lied to the entire time? You get there and they tell you you may be meeting some extraterrestrials at the yeah. end of this trip. Oh yeah, yeah. You're here now. Hope you're psychologically ready for that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so props yeah. on your Floyd pick for that reason. That Thank you. Pretty cold shit. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> not how you went with Lazarus as well. Though. I went with the the twelve volunteers of the Lazarus mission. I, I think I, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. The, the ship. That final ranger meeting up with the endurance and going through with the uh, embryos on board. That was always part of the Lazarus mission. So I see them as one thing. Right on. Uh, that takes us to best IA best best AI, Mister Tars. Where are you going? I went with Tars. <laughs> okay, with Tars. You went with Tars. Thank you. Yeah, he fucking did shit. Oh, go with the one who doesn't kill the entire crew. Oh, he actually Hal is the best the character. Crew. Oh my gosh. Hal is the best character. They're smaller versions of the monolith. When they're standing up, they look like the fucking monolith. Oh yeah, from two thousand one, and, and that is oh, so relevant. They're functional. You know, Tars they're functional. functional. They're so impractical. If you gave me this thing, I'd be like, "Are you fucking?" If I'm going on a mission, me? I'll take Tars any goddamn day of the week. He will actually help me do shit. He's not going to be a voice controlling this the goddamn thing. Shit. Okay, but how I got a question? Why am I here in the fucking first place? It looks like okay, like I even how so goddamn smart to send him up there himself. So it's inspired off of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It. Does like I like Tars? It's funny, but this movie is so grounded in Interstellar. All right, from the science to the ships to the missions, everything. I see Tars, and he looked like I'm fucking watching a comedy. I'm it's like I'm watching fucking Galaxy Quest. It doesn't work for me. You know, like I look at these things, and they just when you have Hal, okay, but we're yeah, he talking kills about people. AI. 
We're not talking about the robot. No, so best AI. AI. If you guys are going that route, because AI, of best, best AI, AI is the functional. I'm one going that with, doesn't kill its crew. Yes. So best AI. It depends on how you're voting. If you're going from that standpoint of like, yeah, if you're taking that with you, I'm simply yeah. looking at okay. programming. I'm going with Tars didn't kill anybody. I'm going with <laughs> best AI. My vote went through character. I love Hal's fucking the better Hal. character. That's why. That's, that's the best my character vote. category. Yeah. If I'm gonna okay. Tars does some shit to save people. That's cool. If you guys and are going he does that calculations, route. he gives them the information that's prudent. He helps manage the systems of the ships. Uh, that's okay. He does all that without killing it, them. So <laughs> if you're going on a mission, I'm taking Tars. But I'm telling you guys right now. Why? Because he's a more reliable AI. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Now, but if I'm telling you from a cinematic standpoint in your movie experience, you can only have Tars or Hal. Which one are you going with? What's the purpose of the character? Then what we, you're, what bleeding it, you're bleeding. No, I'm, talk, so I'm talking the about character. the movie and whatever that the the movie is asking from that character, like Hal or Tars. Well, I like went to be an antagonist. I yeah, vote yeah. Hal. Exactly. That's that's how I voted. That's how I voted. So not not for antagonist. You voted no, man. No, I'm, I'm talking about for my best AI. That's how I voted. Like I I would rather have Hal in a movie than fucking Tars in a movie. Not on a mission. You guys went more mission centric. Oh, well, that's what I, the movies were about. I went with functionality. You, you put Tars in 2001, I'd say go fuck your mother. Okay? Like, I want HAL 9000 in my 2001 movie. If I can only have one AI in this versus, I'm going HAL, not as, as a character on a mission for a movie. You're on going? You're, you're, you're casting your vote, in my opinion, you're casting your vote based upon best character. Exactly. That's why I went with for best AI, which is because usually stretch because it feels like the wrong category. Usually this best is best. AI. Usually this is best character. Now, actually, astronauts best character. What is this? Usually, this was a new one that we added for best AI, wasn't it? I'm not yeah. sure, but I mean, I went with Tars because he functions. For me, Hal Nine Thousand is what, the MVP it, it, of this versus. Yeah, he is. That's why he got my best. Absolutely, AI. he's the gold standard for artificial intelligence. But he is a broken AI. Exactly. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm saying he's the MVP of this versus, and I so love how pulling character into I'm it. pulling character into well, it. Well, I, I voted purely on functionality. Okay. He is literally the best programmed AI because he's not damaged. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, this takes us to one of my favorites. Wayne, do you want to explain what what is what the fuck WTF? Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, <clears throat> it's just a, a scene or an incident or, or whatever you have in any one of the movies we do that basically you walk at it, you watch it, or you hear it, and you go. What the fuck? How many do you have? Like Hal 9000 not being the best villain in this. <laughs> what what the, fuck? the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> uh, for me, what the fuck was an interstellar. How many do you have, what the fucks? Uh, just one. Oh, that's all out of both of them? Well, that's one, I, one I'm giving my origin. Well, because uh, usually we go around and we give our runner-ups for what the oh, fuck. Oh, okay. Uh, do you have any runner-ups? <laughs> runner-ups, honestly, I... Uh... I got two runner-ups. This is the most what-the-fucks I've ever had. I'll run through them quickly. And some of you guys might not agree with, but it's how I saw the movie. Um, so give me just your runner-ups real quick, and then we'll all share our number ones. Uh, one of them that I had, I wish I would have written these down, was basically it shows all the crew, and they, 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 there's nothing to do with them. You know, they, they give so much, like, oh, yeah, we've got the top this, the top that, and they spend some time on it. You don't even see them. They just, they're out like that. How so uh, the crew on the uh, Discovery. Oh one. yeah, yeah. You know, you got two guys. That's it. You had all these hundreds of people, and you do. You, there's nothing to do with them. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. It's yeah. part of the movie, and it's and part again, of I think we're but this, huh? Hundreds of people. Yeah, it was, I think they said it was like 250. Or, no, and in, in Discovery One, there's you're talking about Discovery five. One, right? There's only a couple people in there. We saw five. the people that were sleeping. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. 
You said a couple hundred? There were three in hibernation. And I thought there was a lot more than that. Moment. No, no. Because it was just a, a I think, a... Because they a even call Hal the sixth member of the crew. Yeah, yeah. And again, and again, like I, uh, what the fuck? I, I could see some people getting stuck on there not being a lot of dialogue there in the second act, or a lot of characters. But after I thought about it, I actually love the idea that we're a couple months into the mission. And again, yeah, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna talk much. I'm on three in space after we've talked about everything we're gonna talk about. You know, what's your favorite cereal? You know, who gives a shit? <laughs> when are we gonna get a fucking wherever we're going? Do you even know where we're fucking going? That was probably three months of talk right there. Where do you think we're fucking going, man? <laughs> But no, I, I love the idea now that these guys are just on this ship and they're just like, what? you know, they're just, See, there was just I don't. There was just so much nothing going on so much uh -huh. of the time. And it kind of made me go, what the fuck? Okay, I'm going to throw this. I've said this before in other podcasts. See if you guys can film me on this. Um, it's funny. Like, all of us have some different ways we're going with this versus I love it tonight. This is really interesting. Um, I always look at Michael Myers, Halloween, okay, as one of my favorite horror icons because of his, his white face okay that white mask um, William if, Shatner mask yeah, yeah that William Shatner mask but the white mask they say that um, Michael Myers My, Michael Myers is scary because you're watching a horror film you're you're projecting your your anxieties your your horror on that white image it's a blank canvas and this thing's coming after you right so you, that's what they teach you in film school for different you know uh, the, the the complex um, psychological aspects of his mask I look at 2001 being so silent like that, okay? As kind of like how they look at my It's an empty space for It's you this to empty feel. space to project your own anxieties, Absolutely. your own fears. And when I'm hearing that music and I, it's it's calm, the music it's cool. fucking. I think 2001. It's unnerving. Is a fucking scary movie. Mm -hmm. So I'll go with that. <clears throat> with 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 Hal. Yeah. Yeah, because he's yeah. He really. Sticks it in there as uh, the antagonist. Well, even that scene I was talking about, <laughs> even that one scene I was talking about, about that really, fucking year really long. One of the scariest scenes, though, is when those astronauts go to that moon base and that music's playing and this, this thing, you don't know what it is, this monolith, and they go down there in that piercing that, sound. That it's so swelling. That is chorus. a scary yeah, scene to me. It's a great. No. Do you have any uh, runner ups? I do. Um, interestingly enough, one of the ways that I. I didn't even plan to do this. Uh, I watched uh, the PBS documentary on the Dust Bowl by Ken Burns, right? It's like a two or three part. I don't remember how many parts it was. But I'm watching that. And, and you shit your pants. Then I go <laughs> and I watch Interstellar and I realize that Christopher Nolan lifted interviews, yeah, footage yeah. from that and put it straight really? into Interstellar. Yeah. I was watching it and I was like, what the... I don't know if I even... I kind of, now that I've seen the documentary and randomly stumbled upon it, it kind of dilutes the Dust Bowl element of the movie because it, it seems so blatantly just <clears throat> ripped off from it. Uh, so that was a what-the-fuck moment for me. <clears throat> Another one was with the level of accuracy that they tried to produce in 2001, one of the simplest things when uh, <clears throat> Bowman blows the door and yeah, blows yeah. himself into the airlock. He would have died there, wouldn't he? No, but he holds his breath, uh -huh. which is literally the worst thing you can do yeah. when entering a vacuum. You're supposed to exhale your lungs before you go. Get all the because oxygen that, out of your that, blood. Yeah, that, those gases expand. Would he freeze it all, breakage. though? Like, with, with going into that? No, he'd been okay there? I mean, over time, well, yeah. But there, there, there's a there's a marginal amount of time you can survive in space, but the, the most risk that you assume is... 
the gases that are in your lungs will expand mm -hmm. because of the, the state that they go into, and it can actually lead to breakage and tearing and internal bleeding and all that stuff. So what he did is absolutely literally the worst thing I was do. I was wondering about that scene. There was a couple <clears throat> things where I was like, but how would that work exactly? I Everything he did was 100% awesome except for holding his breath. Really? Yeah. So I have a couple of what the fucks. Um, so Dr. Kip Thorne, he's a physicist, right, um, who had a lot of influence over the uh, the screenplay yeah. of Interstellar. Um, really, Dr. Kip Thorne, his influence is why I like Interstellar so much. I think that if they're fooling me, then they're fooling me, but it feels like fucking hardcore science fiction to me um, in a lot of areas. Um, but he made a bet with Stephen Hawking yeah. okay, um, about uh, astrophysics and a theory about astrophysics. And as a consequence, um, Stephen Hawking had to su subscribe to Penthouse Magazine for a year. <laughs> so I just thought that was funny. Like, a behind the scenes, what the fuck. Um, I already shared with you Tars. I like his design and his mythology, just not for Interstellar. Um, I think it would be used better elsewhere. Um, again, um, at the end of this movie, you have Cooper. He wakes up. And it's, again, I don't agree with anything Cooper does. And I don't have to all the time, all right? But it's, like, it's consistent. He wakes up in this space habitat. He saved the fucking world, you know? He's a fucking hero. He had that, that dual hero ship, you know, with him and his daughter. And his daughter tells him, you know, hey, you know, no no um, father should see their, their child die. You know, go ahead and leave. And that's where, you know, you go out to the waiting room. You know, I'm sure there were some grandkids out there. You wait for her to die. You would think that... You have a fucking interesting story. These are your grandkids and your grandchildren. <laughs> you want to maybe shake their hand and tell them about your fucking adventures in the fifth dimension, you know, or how things used to be. And the first thing he does is he just says, he doesn't even say bye to any of them. He doesn't even say, <laughs> he just gets in his fucking new ranger, okay? And he goes searching for fucking space pussy. <laughs> first thing he goes is to Edmund's planet, searching down Anne Hathaway's character. I was just like, at least... Well, he's the only person he's got any connection to. These people are complete strangers to him. They I know, but he's his, not a part but, of their no, family. But I would like and, to... And she, he saved her. Yeah, he accomplished I, his goal. I think a rational thing would to do would just be introduce yourself to your fucking grandkids. I think that'd be interesting. So I was like, but, I didn't understand that. But Brand is out there alone. She's fine. <laughs> she's She's okay. He's going to get there. Yeah, this Cooper like, the grandkids like, will be I there mean, tomorrow. I gave him best He's not me. going back to his grandkids. I you know that. Fuck. He does not give no, a you fucking He don't. don't give a fuck about them. <laughs> if he didn't give a fuck, he wouldn't have done everything he did to you, save the goddamn planet. an entirely different character than I saw. Oh, you did. did. I you gave him best hero. You, you so the fact that he would give up on the opportunity to connect with his grandchildren, which are obviously very alien relationships It only takes a scene. Only takes a fucking second. But the movie didn't require it. It, it requires him just... He had his moment with the person that mattered, his daughter, who he saved. Yeah, right. his, and now... Do we forget about his son? Rand is... <laughs> the only person that matters, his daughter. He has a fucking son. Is the son alive? Tell me that, then. It takes a fucking second. Where's my son? That's fair. That I'll fair. give you oh, that. Okay, yeah. But going you. and saving Brand immediately makes sense it's with Cooper's character. He gets there, though, and it looks like she's doing good. She has he her fucking little hut. Yeah, no, he, no, at the very end, he goes to that planet, and you can see, because he parks his fucking vessel, and it's the, it's that sand planet, It it and it, at the bottom is, like, some kind of dome. That's the very last scene. So, because he gets into a ship, he takes mm -hmm. off, and he lands. I don't think he Yes, let's pick, okay, pick up Wikipedia. Let's do it. 
I'm telling you the scene. I, I know it's at the fucking end. He gets because the guy. Okay, the guy looks yeah, for him because he gets in his. Yeah, he, he gets this thing takes off and the fucking credits. No, 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 because the guy he goes to the guy and it shows her the, by but, herself. Yeah, exactly, Did he's he established the habit. You see his ranger there. Really? Unless that's her ranger, unless she has one. I, I don't sure that's, that's where he's fucking going though. But she has a well, dome yeah. down there. She's so look, good. she's so fucking look. good. The endurance is near the black hole. Oh. He drops the ranger with tars in it. To shed the weight, and then he drops his so that she can escape the gravity of Gargantua. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So she goes, and she's got the endurance, and she's got that dome habitat thing that they uh, connected with that they lifted yeah. off of uh, man's planet. So he was worried. You think he was worried about Bran? He got in the ship and flew away so you think to he go was, get her. You think he was worried yeah. about her? Because it didn't look like he was worried when he was putting fucking tars together sitting in his fucking country home that he didn't fucking <laughs> like. Didn't seem like he gave two shits. Did he ask anybody where Brandon is? she okay? No, he didn't give a fuck until his dick was hard at the end of the movie and he wanted to fly away. <laughs> Did you see that scene? Did he ask anybody about Brandon? Is she okay? I was with somebody else before I got to the pedophile bedroom in space. Oh, shit. I lost you know connection with her. Is she, is she good? Is she... Is she okay? So, am I to believe Nothing. you're probably going to vote Interstellar as your best picture? Yes. You're correct. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I had a problem with that. Um, and then the corn... <laughs> so, I think, again, there's a, there's a thousand and one ways that you can write a scene. And I think it's funny where Murph, she burns down the fucking cornfield. <laughs> and she's like, she comes back, right? And she's like, Dad's alive! He's 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 the ghost or whatever he whatever she says and he's just looking at her. The look on his face is a what the fuck. Like you expect the scene to cut and he fucking decked her. He's like you're a fuck. He's like you're fucking. You know he's thinking you're fucking bananas, bitch. There's no fucking ghost. You burned down my goddamn cornfield. <laughs> you know he was know gonna burn it down anyways. He doesn't know. She's no, but there. the look that he gives her is like because yeah. he just told her to leave. Okay, and then the next scene he comes. He's putting it together. <laughs> he, he tells her to leave, he comes back, she's there, and she runs out, Dad's alive! He's not dead, he's a ghost! Or whatever she says, he's like, just, oh, that look that he gives her is like, motherfucker. You know how many people are going to have to go without food because she set that fucking, I think we got That's a what new I'm villain. Saying. A new villain, yeah, she got another fucking food. And I talked to, I talked to, to Wayne about this uh, before you came over. Um, <coughs> you kind of uh, took me away from this one, but they were drinking beer, okay, on the porch, and I was like, I thought only corn existed, and most Butter. most beer is, you know, um, barley. Barley. Wheat. So I was like, what if I can drink it? And I guess that makes kind of sense. That probably yeah, you, you can make honey lager, and yeah, so that, that makes sense. Uh, but then you know, Cooper not giving two fucks about his son. We went over that thoroughly. Um, oh yeah, and so the cornfield scene. I do love how Christopher Nolan does everything in camera, practical, right? That cornfield that they drove the fuck through for no goddamn reason. All right. Uh, to chase the drones, they had to stay in close proximity to it to be able to hack it. Would you build? I don't even know how long this was. Five. Okay. Would you grow five hundred acres of corn for that meaningless scene? I don't consider that scene to be meaningless. Would you grow five hundred acres mm. of corn for that? Or would you rather he drive through a CGI cornfield? No. Again, it comes back to you're just accepting that scene. There's a couple different reckless scenes you could write as a creator. And write a different scene where he's not driving through a fucking cornfield. You can write. You're saying that's the only scene. Uh, if you read further on, though, he sold that corn for a profit. I know. Okay. So, <laughs> but then he sells the corn. This is a ma- This is a big studio movie, right? You know how many fucking people are, we are still out there? On what the fuck? You know how many people are out there? <laughs> We're even giving her what the fuck. You know how many, his runner You know how many people are starving? I'm crashing on your couch. You know how many people? Are, you know how many people are starving? 
and the th- big studio <laughs> sells the fucking corn instead of giving it away. That's fu- fucking crazy. That's money. That's business. That's, okay, yeah, exactly. okay, I just that's, it's a what the fuck. That's to life. Me. Um, but you think that no, that's a perfect um, publicity move. But what are you We're growing? Do? No, you come want, on. Hey, homeless guy, you want a near corn? No, <laughs> you guys are being like so close by to you guys, dude. Star Wars. No, we're being practical. No, no, Star Wars does something, and they go um, force for change, and they they try to help people out. You think like, hey, we're gonna do this scene, we're gonna do a five hundred acre cornfield, and then we're gonna give it away to fucking Somalia. You know, that's like cool. I can get behind that. That's I think it's a good publicity move. Anyway. Um, Driving through the cornfield of all the drones, fucking stupid. My number one, what the fuck? Can I go ahead and give that? I don't give a fuck. Was the fucking fifth dimension um, child pedophiles scene? <laughs> uh, mine was an interstellar. Uh, when he, they tried to inter, uh, incorporate love as a scientific equation. I like that. Now you give me I all this it. hard, gra- even though some of it, you know, proven to be wrong. Still, this whole grounded science. Oh, I know what the missing connection was. Love. Cooper doesn't even know what a fucking wormhole is. She's trying to sell going to Edmund's planet in any way she can. The complexity of love? You don't even have a problem with the wormhole? Pen and paper scene? No, I didn't say I didn't have a problem with it. I just got a bigger problem with that. Jesus Christ. The wormhole pen and papers. No, I just, looking at my paper again, I had another one where... About Matthew McConaughey. He's a a NASA pilot, okay? I've, after 20 years of science fiction movies, I I know the basic function of a wormhole. Well, maybe he didn't watch 20 years of science fiction movies. He's a fucking NASA pilot. He knows knows that dust is coordinates to a fucking secret base, but he can't tell you the basic function of a wormhole. I call dog shit on that. That is a what the fuck moment. Yes. I will give you that. He's not a smart guy. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> What's yours? All right, so this is the one I messaged you guys about. Does it ha- Can it just be connected to it, not directly from the movies? You said yes. So your post for Pick the Movie, uh, which one you want, 2001 mm-hmm. or Interstellar, on, on the, uh, the AV page. I think it's yeah, mm-hmm. I think 2001. Comment Wonderful. number one from Jordan Coy. 2001 mm-hmm. is the most boring movie on the face of the earth. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <clears throat> a movie being boring is is different than a movie being good. <clears throat> and 2001 is a good film. Whether it is hard to get through or not, it is a challenging movie. I'll give you that. But it is quality. <clears throat> so when I read that, I just... I hear so many people... Uh, Sunset Boulevard is a perfect example of a movie that a lot of people said was boring. Mm. But it's still really damn good. I would love to see what we have to do to get over <coughs> the, oh, this is boring, not exciting, not action-packed, summer blockbuster shit, and into challenging films that it, it, it's worth looking into and seeing what more is there. 2001 is a movie that, so many people can watch and come out with something completely mm. fucking different based upon yeah, yeah. their viewpoint. Religion. Religion. Fucking, you can go off Arthur oh, C. Clarke's yeah. book. You can go off your own interpretations. You can go up with, uh, you know, um, an- analogies brought up through the movie. I mean, there's a different ways you can break down 2001. That's what I love about 2001. Like, you walk out of there where you can have a deep conversation afterwards. Stanley Kubrick created an empty hole for us to fill yeah. our ideas into. And he said, he, he, I think Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick both said pretty much, if you walk away understanding this movie, then we did not do our job. You know, we want you to 
use that imagination and study this film and and come up with you know your own interpretation. Which I, I think, think Arthur C. Clarke was on board with that concept 100 percent because his novelization yeah. tried to answer a lot of questions. It did, <clears throat> but Kubrick, being Kubrick, <clears throat> he's going to do what he fucking wants to do, and that was his idea was don't define it, and I think that's wonderful. So yeah. yeah, that was my that was my what the fuck. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke. I actually have a quote from him. It says, "If you understand 2001 completely, then we failed. We wanted to raise far more questions than we answered." And that's from Arthur C. Clarke. So yeah, I succeeded. Yeah, yeah I appreciate succeeded it. Admirable. Yeah. Like, admirable. <laughs> <laughs> so that takes us to so like some Cooper would say best score. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is. I think this is the. Um, this versus has been very entertaining. Usually we're kind of on the same page where we can, yeah. we, can we can kind of get <laughs> yeah. each other where we're going, but it sounds like we're all kind of all over the place. Gang banging Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Josh and I have disagreed on a lot too, so it's like we're it is, yeah. we're all circle jerking each other. <laughs> very hor- horrifying image. Um, <laughs> best score or soundtrack? Uh, this was two thousand one. All the way. This, this was surprised no you fucking con- like that. Well, my bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, honestly, just every scene where the music was in, it made you feel what was going on. You know, like my, my big complaint with 2001, very little dialogue and so forth. The but music is all over. It did. The music, I felt, that's what kept me interesting. It compensated so much for it. As long as there's not dialogue. <laughs> exactly. Which, which very, he very did, little He off. did not interlace dialogue. In well, that's because there, there's 88 <laughs> minutes. Um, the first 88 minutes is dialogue free. Yeah. And just music. Of, of the first um, piece of dialogue you get is the stewardess. Um, 20 minutes in. Is it 20 minutes? 20 Something minutes like that, in the beginning man. and 20 minutes in the end. Okay, because I know the first bit of dialogue we have is the stewardess, right? On this, Not on Discovery 1 even, but on um, when, when she's taking them to the moon base, mm-hmm. I believe. Is that 20 minutes in? I believe so. Yeah. Because without such a, a wonderful soundtrack, 2001 would not be half the movie it is. I mean, the soundtrack is what does it. It's what makes the movie. See, I don't know. I to, to, it's for most of it. I mean, not, not yeah. all of it, but a, a, in visual effects, too, really come into play with this. But to me, it makes me feel every scene. You know, whether something's supposed to be scary or suspenseful or waiting or mysterious. Kubrick is so meticulous when it yeah, comes he to is. musical selection. He, he's, a, he's a fucking Nazi with his movies. In fact, it's great. The, the, <laughs> the songs that he chose, uh, the, the, the score that he chose defined the evolution of his scene. He structured scenes around the music he had already decided he wanted to do. And in granted, 2001 had, uh, I believe his name was Alex North, wrote a score for 2001, and Stanley Kubrick, like just a few weeks before, switched all of it, pulled all his shit out, and then premiered it while Alex North was sitting in the audience, and he never told him he pulled his music. <laughs> it was a pretty dick move. Um, but that was Kubrick was very selective about the music that he wanted. He had decided that no composer could beat the already existing audio tracks that he already listened to and stuff like that. So he, he selected from those. And that actually kind of is a problem for me. Uh, really? Uh, the, the 2001, I, I, I picked 2001. Uh, for for the soundtrack, only because I feel like Interstellar has a fresh score, but it uses all of 2001's tricks. The uh, the so- sound swell that happens before the immediate scene cut that happened after the moon monolith scene and the ape monolith scene in the Dawn of Man. <clears throat> that happens in Interstellar, I think, like twice. But I really liked the music in the end of Interstellar. 
it, it wasn't. Oh, I don't even know how to define it. It, it was it, decent, but it, it had some really impact. To it, but they didn't show up until the end of the film, in my opinion. Two thousand and one though wins because it is legendary and iconic, and it just <clears throat> the opening scene, for instance. Yeah, everybody fucking knows what that is. Yeah. It, it's fucking ballsy too for nineteen what sixty eight. Sixty eight, yeah. That's fucking ballsy. Like you can see some art films doing some stuff <clears> like that, but nineteen sixty eight. I think when this movie opened, um, the premiere had like two hundred and seventy some people walk the fuck out. Did you guys read that? <laughs> no, yeah, they did. They were just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I read that very progressive for nineteen sixty eight. No one came to see the movie. It was basically a bomb. They were getting ready to pull it, and uh, it said that. Uh, they got some calls from theater managers saying, "Whoa, yeah, before yeah. you pull this movie, <laughs> there's there's something's happening. Yeah, people yeah. are showing up. People were getting high and going seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah. It got a following and ended up making like making thirty million dollars yeah. because people were getting stoned. They're like, dude, you gotta fucking see the Stargate scene. <laughs> Not that I would condone such a thing, but it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. but it was did. funny too, and I don't even do that. And I was thinking during Stargate, I was like, fuck, if I did." First thing I'm going to do is watch the fucking 2001 fucking Stargate scene. It helps the mood. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I, bet. Um, I went with uh, 2001 as, as well. The Dawn of Man theme. Jupiter and Beyond theme is spooky as hell. Stock. That's the word I was looking for when it comes to Kubrick's yeah. selection. Yeah. The, the score is just Powerful, hip. but they feel stock. Very hypnotic. Um, great score. I do want to give my respect, though, because sh- I've shit on Interstellar a little bit. Most of it is with Cooper, though. Um I think it was Christopher Nolan. He told Hans Zimmer he wanted a um, a unique score and instructed him to do a unique score. And I think it's there. I think Interstellar is a very awesome score. Um, he said, "Get inventive." And, and what, I felt much, like much he was your pop the movies. End. Your pop movies aren't doing what Interstellar is yeah. doing. It is that very music inventive. when they were trying to match up the rotation to the endurance in the end when he says no, it's necessary. Yeah. That was some great yeah, yeah. music. Well, look at the From title then through the end of the film. Look at the tidal wave scene um, on Miller's planet. Like all that right there is 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 scary. It, it's very atmospheric. Um, there's there's a lot of great music cues I think in Interstellar. But with that said, it doesn't hold um, anything against uh, you know 2001. You know it's just iconic, fucking great. So that takes us to best quote. Uh, mine came from Interstellar. No, Cooper. <laughs> Damn it, Wayne. <laughs> Once you're a parent, you're the ghost of your children's future. Love that one. Love that one. I mean, that was just it's so much truth to that. You know, it might, you know, yeah, it's a science fiction film and such, but it's so grounded in reality. And so relevant to his character, exactly. too. Exactly. You know, because he loves his kids. Mm-hmm. Does he? Even though he's a complete <laughs> fucking prick that drives through cornfields, right? I agree with you, Wayne. <laughs> Trying to drive his mom a cliff. I would never drive my fucking kids to a cornfield. God damn it, Wayne. He's a farmer. He's comfortable in his environment. He's uncomfortable. He's comfortable through fucking cornfields. You should have spent more time at Grandma and Grandpa's, man. We had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All right, uh, what's yours? Uh, Don't drive to the cornfield, son. <laughs> I wish that was a scene. Wish that was a Yeah, Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> I like this one. You're the most evil character in existence. Will you? Uh, wait a minute. I got a runner up. I'll, I'll I'll throw out the runner up. The runner up is because it's so fucking iconic, and that is open the pod bay doors, Hal. <clears throat> I just, it's awesome. Uh, everybody knows that line, and everybody knows. The, the emotion that it carries exactly what you said earlier about you're outside the ship that sense of hopelessness if you can't convince no, this no. AI to let you in that's the moment when that's nuts man he says open the pod bay doors Hal I'm sorry Dave 
I can't do yeah. that. You know, that's... this conversation can hold no purpose anymore. <laughs> and that it... is all. Like, oh, I'm <laughs> fucked. Open the pod bay doors. How was my runner up? <clears throat> um, and it, it, it honestly could have been my winner, but I really like the the line from Cooper. Uh, we used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. That's a good. One. I think that's yeah. really relevant, even now. You know, because. <clears throat> Interstellar is trying to say something about the validity of science and sp- space exploration. And that's something we've lost. When you look back at the 60s and the space race and all that stuff, we gained so much out of that. We didn't and, even go to the moon, Josh. Well, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's what I heard. It was a brilliant piece of propaganda. Filmed but, by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> so I see where we go on uh, Best Director. <laughs> but, I mean... When you look back at the space race, we gained, as a human race, we gained so much out of that because of us pushing the envelope and, and, and trying to get more, and we lost that vision, and Cooper embodies all that. He talks about we used to be explorers, we used to want to go places, we used to want to discover things, and all that's gone, and I think it's definitely fucking gone today. I mean, yeah. We've got no billionaire, shit crazy people like Elon Musk, who's doing great stuff with uh, SpaceX, landing rockets, reusable rockets. I mean, the guy wants to go to Mars by 2040 or something like that. I mean, it's great that that stuff's happening, but that used to be a... an an ambition that we shared as a people, you know, as a country. uh, And dare I say, as uh, the human race. You know, it used to... We used to have that desire and that ambition. I don't know where it went, but we retired the space shuttle. Well, because things have gone so far down the shitter... You know, <laughs> that we're more worried about what's going on here now. You know what because I mean? Because we're worried about our place, place in the, the dirt. dirt. And exactly I right. just think that, that quote really sums up a simple truth about our time that I hope turns around yeah. soon. Because I know, I think what we need to do you know, is we need to, we need to lie, lie to people and get them to go somewhere else. Give it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, Wayne. Oh, okay, bro. so <laughs> that's good. Um, Which lie, though? There's a couple lies. Brand or man? Both. Both are dirty lies. Which one's the worst one, though? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with man. I'm going to go with man. But Brand's a fucking asshole, too. Yeah. Just saying. All right. I'm going to go with a couple different ones here. Uh, runner-ups. Hal. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. That is such a fucking scary thing to hear. Awesome. I say. Um, mankind was born on Earth. It was never meant to die here. Cooper. Uh, runner-up, Interstellar. Um, Cooper said, we used to look up and dream at our place in the stars. Now we look down and wonder at our place in the dirt. You said that was very relevant today. Shit line. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's... You said it's very relevant today. I'm going to beat your relevancy, okay? <laughs> and I'm going with Cooper. And he says, we've always defined ourselves by the ability to overcome the impossible. And we count these moments, these moments when we dare to aim higher, to break barriers, to reach for the stars, to make the unknown known. We count these moments as our proudest achievements, but we lost all that. Or perhaps we've just forgotten that we are still pioneers and we've barely begun. And that's our greatest accomplishments. Um, and that our greatest ac- accomplishments cannot be behind us because our destiny destiny lies above us. I think that is fucking awesome. I, that's how I look at the fucking space program now like we were just talking about, you know. We're fucking pioneers, you know. And we're, we're still doing the same old shit, you know. Let's, let's go out there and explore. Let's... Let's let's be creative, you know. Let's go out there and do something, and that really sums up, you know, this kind of this versus for me. That was great. So was right. it's a, it, it's an extension <laughs> of yours, really. It really <laughs> yeah. is. No, that that's the the full version. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, my quote that I chose 
reveals it, but it doesn't define it. That one defines it. Yeah. That one runs the gamut of that whole explanation. All right, so best screenplay. Uh, 2001. 2001. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, again, a no-brainer for me. Really? Okay. Why? Versus Interstellar. This is the versus, man. <laughs> it's just a better story. Really? Is it really, Wayne? You've told me jack shit happens. Nothing happens in 2001. You're going to tell me it has a, no dialogue and nothing happens, but it's a better fucking we're, screenplay? We're talking about a screenplay. It's a better goddamn book than it is a movie. I'm not talking about that. Let me hear about the <laughs> screenplay. What's what's going on that's so fucking important? I just want to hear from your words. We're we talking... Yeah, well, let's, you, let's break down. A screenplay... There's more going on with words than there are visuals. Really? In 2001? Yeah. It's fucking 20 minutes dialogue free at the beginning and end. How's your dialogue... Okay, you you're saying it's dialogue driven now. You told me that music moves you. As far as screenplay goes, okay. Yeah. Why why Josh? <laughs> why what? You said 2001 as well. Yeah, right? I lied. I went with Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Interstellar is a really well constructed film. Um, ultimately, 2001. <laughs> You know what? Everything's just 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> I didn't fucking Interstellar. Oh no, it's all 2001. No, thank you, Wayne. How many goddamn Oscars did it win? What? 2001 is the definition of a movie. Actually, I think only one. I think oh, really? It, yeah, I think 2001 only won um, special effects, I believe. No shit. Yeah, no shit, Wayne. No one fucking liked it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it, it was not well received at all. <clears throat> 2001 is the definition of a movie that evolved in the lens rather than on the page. So, I mean, Interstellar just <clears throat> seems like the obvious choice. <clears throat> that This movie changed every time that they, they went to go shoot something. They were rewriting things. They didn't have all the answers by the time it was done. Uh, <clears throat> the ending, I guess, was supposed to be entirely different, but they ran out of money, and they settled on the Stargate sequence, which he ended up being okay with. But <clears throat> uh, you look at Interstellar, and, I mean... All of us pulled quotes out of Interstellar because there's a powerful message there and delivered through excellent character work, a father loving his children. <laughs> I really liked all the characters, legitimately, uh, and I liked the science. I liked the way that they got the exposition out. I liked the way that they got the uh, you know, the science fiction <clears throat> verbiage out. It all came together. Just the conversation in the, the Ranger, uh, excuse me, on the Endurance um, before they went down to Miller's Planet. Talking about the time dilation and how little time they had, you know. They packed this movie yeah. full of information. And they delivered it in in what I thought were smart ways. And to me, that's all screenplay. Uh, and it and it covers a lot of shit. And I thought it did it well. Yeah. 2001 um, is a, a visual thing and it's impressive. It's an experience for me, but, but it's not it was it was written congruently with the novel. So I mean, they were both kind of. If you, if you looked at the screenplay, Dawn one, of Man, how many pages do you think Dawn of Man is? Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the Howl sequence is probably the largest section for the screenplay. The majority of the, the Dawn of Man there. sequence is is second unit shots, and yeah. when they were in the film editing room, Kubrick's like, "Yeah, that one's really good, yeah. breathtaking. Put that one before this one." Apes fighting mm. over waterhole, exterior shot, day, <laughs> monolith. <laughs> And then you have a huge section with Hal, and then you have the last one's like man uh, making ex sound exterior uh, space Stargate <laughs> turn into I Superman. Two thousand one's screenplay is very thin. I'd like to actually see it. Be interesting. <laughs> um, I yeah, I went with Interstellar. Um, 
I like a lot of the uh, the components of Interstellar. I, most of my hangups are on Coop and his and his interactions. And his excellent interactions. And his interactions, but um, the <laughs> the space travel in this film was based off physicist Dr. Kip Thorne's work. And I'm not saying that 2001 didn't do a great job with their science fiction. I mean, fucking science. 2001 was 1968. Fucking Apollo 11 wasn't until 1969. You know, so he made this movie look. They did. He did a great job with space exploration without us even being there yet. Made it seem believable. But with Dr. Kip Thorne's input, like I think, you know, um, they nailed the science fiction. Even the, the my limited scope of science fiction, I feel like they got it right. Like if they're tricking me, then awesome. But I feel like I it's think- packed. I think 2001 got the science fiction. No, no I'm saying right. I think I think 2001 did a great job. I'm not taking that away from it. That's, Interstellar approaches scientific accuracy. Yeah, that's, it tried to. That's a piece. Things have been disproven, but yeah, some some stuff has been actually disproven for Interstellar as well recently. Uh, but that's, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. Nobody's really disproven anything from 2001 because they didn't define it. But that's I think the beautiful. Yeah, thing but I think it's it's packed in there. You know, um, so that and that's not the top of the reason for my screenplay. I also like um, you know, actually following Kip Thorne still. He said so early in the process. Thorne laid down two guidelines. All right, for the screenplay, which I love. He said first, if I'm going to be a part of this film. Um, that nothing would violate established physical laws, all right? And he says, second, that all the wild speculations would spring from science fiction, or I'm sorry, from science, and not from the fertile mind of a screenwriter. So as real as we can make Interstellar, that's what we're shooting for, okay? There was even an argument between Christopher Nolan and and Dr. Kip Thorne about um, going faster than the speed of light, okay? And Kip Thorne was like, dude, you brought me in on this. If we're gonna if we're going to do this, let's not make this some creative crazy screenwriting thing let's you know ground this in science as much as we can kip thorn one okay um so there's stuff like that i love in this but i also like the apocalyptic earth setting with the dust bowl uh pulled from the 1930s do you don't agree with this wayne you're looking like you're just oh no i'm listening do you you like i mean (laughs) so far yeah yeah, the apocalyptic setting i like that the lazarus mission all that ex that exposition there i i think that's fascinating the pro uh the post-truth society i was talking to you about that did you find did you catch that now the post-truth where the apollo mission never happened and we never landed on the moon inside of interstellar which is also very fascinating too because you look at 2000 it, that that's to dilute the population to yeah, keep yeah. them subdued but it's very really interesting too because they live in that post ambition they live yeah exactly and they live in this post truth society but you also have um you look at stanley kubrick and you know he um he was um blamed for filming the 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 moon landings and you know all that which i think is interesting another connection to interstellar and just yeah. kubrick in large um but uh, all that there the post-truth lazarus missions apocalyptic earth the the science that they tried to cram in this the missions there's a lot of uh components to interstellar on the written page that i think uh, really develops the experience for me so um and that and let me ask you guys something real quick i think and again i guess it's your own interpretation we won't stay on here long because we can honestly talk about this for <clears throat> an hour at the end of 2001, a lot of people walk out and they're like, what the fuck just happened, right? What are the monoliths, okay? I honestly think that watching Interstellar now, because I never made the comparison between the two movies when I first watched Interstellar, do you think that, because at the end of Interstellar, we have evolved humans that built the Tesseract, the, the fifth dimension, right? Do you think that the monoliths were created by an evolved humanity to get us to the point that we needed to well, be in and Interstellar could be, sorry for any like big fans of Interstellar, but maybe Interstellar is a 2001 for dummies. 
to show because it's easier to process when you see Matthew McConaughey's I character. I thought about what that. Goes the fifth dimension is, and that, that's and why out that we're humans. is going to suffer over time. Is that they took the science fiction and they defined it. Mm-hmm. Two thousand one took the science fiction and left it open. Yeah. So two thousand one is going to endure, and Interstellar will slowly Cause they, degrade. Because they never say what the the alien the aliens are from two thousand one, right? So they could be an evolved human when race trying to get us. Because look at look at um, the monoliths. They they're in every evolution of man from the dawn of man to spaceman to Superman, okay, or the Star Child. Yeah. So are we as a human race creating these these monoliths to try to get us to the point that we need to be in the future? And Interstellar is what kind of unlocked that thought for me because seeing where he goes in the fifth dimension than Tesseract, you know, um, was like, oh, I wonder if that's what the monoliths <clears throat> are. No, I, I think that that's uh, 100% uh, true. <clears throat> I I even like the, the Interstellar is 2001 for dummies thing because... The comparison is that blatant. I mean, for what we're doing, except that uh, the only the only difference is Interstellar tax on the uh, humanity is an apocalypse thing. Two thousand and one yeah. doesn't do that. There's no motivation to save yourself. It's just purely exploration. Yeah. Whereas Interstellar kind of marries the idea and, of yeah. you have to, and and that's why I got my best screenplay because they could have done a lot of stuff on Earth that just kind of sucked. You know, in Interstellar, but I liked their their idea of the Dust Bowl, you know, and the post-truth society. Everything that they added seemed like it really fit in this world, you know, except for TARS. But <laughs> 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 All right, that takes us to best cinematography. Well, hopefully this is the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want a 2000. Damn it, Wayne. <laughs> God damn it, Wayne. <laughs> Let me guess, you two bastards went with Interstellar. We'll see. Okay, well. No, I mean, especially for the, <laughs> uh, the the time that this was done. Uh-huh. I, I thought they were just mind-blowing. You're so full of shit. <laughs> 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 pull my foot in your ass. <laughs> no, and even, I, I thought they even looked a little bit better in some areas than mm-hmm. Interstellar did. Just in some areas. Like uh, when they were trying to hook up uh, the Endeavor <clears throat> and things like that. I was aware that I was blatantly looking at a model at times. Whereas 2001, it wasn't so blatant. Considering the time span, how far we've come in special effects, mm-hmm. I think it was ahead of its time. In this well, area. I, I like what Interstellar and Two Thousand One did with with models, like because you could tell Interstellar when he was doing the model work. Yeah, you could tell it was models. Yeah, but I could tell that in Two Thousand One as well. Oh, you but can't, yeah, but they, it's they, not yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah, I do. I mean, I I like where you're going though because I mean, if you think, <clears throat> oh no of, shit, no, <laughs> I like where you're going here though because a lot of people don't think about it, but Two Thousand One. Okay, it's before fucking even Star Wars. Exactly. You know, I mean that was ten years before Star Wars, something like that. Yeah, and they were ahead of the game in some of the special effects there. I mean, I really do like the the model work and, and the things that are going on, you know, in that. So yeah. and the way they capture that with the camera, which yeah. And that and that right there is what made it come to life. Uh, I mean, you'd seen model work before, but it was always choppy. Kubrick mm-hmm. knows how to Place that camera. Like I said, he's meticulous. I yeah, mean, he's so meticulous. With a fine so that model work just soared. <clears throat> I think that uh, it's it's worth pointing out in this regard. Uh, I went with two thousand one as well. <clears throat> that Kubrick's goal with two thousand one, what as his goal is with most everything he's made, was he said. All other science fiction movies are shit. I want to make one that's not. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that was his motivation and. So every single trope and, and, and cliche were things he would not 
touch on. And it created a science fiction film that didn't have a film over it, so to speak. It, it felt fresh and steady and accurate. And it, all, the cinematography has a lot to do with that. That's still camera stuff that he does. Yeah, there's a lot of long shots, and the wow. camera doesn't even pan sometimes. You know, so I, I think that's... That, that fixed that fixed shot. Somewhere. I would actually blame cinematography um, for the reason that a lot of people, not, not including myself, don't like 2001. Because it does come when the camera's not moving and it, it barely it's pans as a long shot. Time, like time. my wife, she does. I, I guarantee if it does make Pantheon, if it does make a council decision at the end of the night, my wife will probably say no. She was watching it with me. She'll have to watch it again. She only watched from hell, you know, beyond. Um, but she well, was shit, like, she didn't like that. She's not going to like No, exactly. Yeah. And she was like, and I think the reason she was so bored, I think a lot, a big problem with that is those it's long pantheons. still movement. Yeah. Not only is it quiet. That. Not only is it quiet, but it is also very yeah. motionless. And I will say, sometimes it does it, go on for too long. You know, I mean, it does. When, when the ship, when that Pan Am uh, transport ship is docking with that space station, I can't remember what that what that one's called. Uh, when it's docking with it, I mean, we sit outside there and watch this thing rotating and watch the Pan Am ship ro- rotate <clears> with it. Yeah. Just for him to display the technology that that's on, you know, that, that's going on here, the shots inside of that ship are meticulously placed so that we can maximum see the curvature of the ship to explain what that centrifugal anti or uh, artificial gravity is is doing for us, you know, and it's not told to you; it's shown to you, and all of that has to do with that camera work. There, there is no other answer in this than yeah. two thousand. And I'm going Interstellar. Um, <laughs> I know I love. I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think 2001 um, does a great job with with camera. And again, I think sometimes that the camera does go a little bit too long for some people. It a does. A lot of times it went. No, too it long. does. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I I love 2001, and I think you know, hey, you are in space. Space is cold. It's you know, I, I think they did a, a great job with with showing that. You know, there's not much going on. You got this astronaut and fucking Hal, and I don't think you need to do a whole lot of things. And but I think, all that space is nothing but yeah, tension. Yeah, yeah I and think as so. As soon as Hal speaks, you've had nothing going on. Yeah, yeah. You've just you're 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 there contemplating the quietness of space, and then Hal speaks, and it's unnerving. Yeah, uh, this is the Interstellar is the first movie since Memento where he actually switched cinematographers. Wally Pfister. Is his his main guy? <laughs> yeah, but this dude and the Glad guy you laughed because I was about to. <laughs> Wally Fister, um, everything. Batman Begins, Dark Knight. Those movies look phenomenal. Yeah, they look big. Okay, and same thing with this. It looks amazing. He so anyway, that guy went off to direct Transcendence, so he got fucked. <laughs> okay, it was his, it was his directional Seriously, debut. That's he, what, oh, yeah, man. it was his directional <laughs> debut, so he went off to direct Transcendence. So he grabbed this other guy. Is that guy. why he switched? Yeah, yeah, that's why he switched, yeah. Uh, But he uh, snagged (laughs) this guy, this cinematographer. (laughs) Yeah, really. Um, He snagged this cinematographer named Height. I can't even pronounce his name, guys. I'm not going to try. But um, I thought he did a phenomenal job with Interstellar. I think Interstellar looks big. Um, It's beautiful. Um, There's two science fiction movies in the last 10 years that I think look amazing. I just wish I could get on board with everything else. And it's Prometheus and Interstellar. I think this movie looks great. Um, practical effects, the way that he films those models, even TARS being a pop. I know we're getting into some cinematography and practical, you know, functioning, you know, props, but... Special effects. Special effects, you know, but um, the way that he films those um, 35 millimeter when he wasn't shooting 35 millimeter, um, Christopher Nolan is a big fan of using IMAX cameras. 
And I love the fucking look. My, like, I'm not a big fan of Dark Knight Returns, but that fucking opening airplane scene, fucking real airplane, the only time you can get those big sets like that, you know, is with those huge IMAX cameras to make it look that that uh, that expansive, you know? And he does the same thing here, man. Like, this is he used IMAX cameras more in Interstellar than he has any other movie. And you can tell, man, this yeah, movie yeah. looks big. And I think Interstellar is one of the best. I think it is the best-looking Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and the best-looking science fiction movie right next to Prometheus. Um, so I think he did a phenomenal job, um, especially working with a new cinematographer, too. Um, I think that's my favorite thing, walking away from Interstellar as a cinematography. So that takes us to Best Supporting Actor. So you picked Interstellar? I did. Nope. Yeah. Well, no, and you don't get, you guys want to break down also cinematography. Um, it's also where you got to take. Oh, that. it was good. It was but good. no, but then drawn. also um, taking your camera and capturing locations. Fuck, man, that the three planets they went on to, they actually made the you know got those planets location scouting. Um, most of that, what you're seeing in camera is fucking Iceland, and capturing fucking Iceland through the lens looks fucking amazing in this movie. So, go ahead. Uh, best supporting actor or actress. I, I went with Anne Hathaway in Interstellar. Okay. I, I thought she played her role to the T. I mean, she was on top of it. Okay. I do. Uh, real quick, I want to tell everybody that usually we do best supporting actor yeah. and actress. We switch something up right now where we're making us choose best supporting actor or actress. So we won't have two categories for this. So you actually went the female role. Yeah, I did. Okay. I, she, uh, I was just very aware of her. I mean, to make it short, uh, she was a great presence. Uh, and just uh, she fit her character great. Okay. I love what she did. Okay. I agree. But I went with Douglas Rain. <laughs> for I was waiting for that shit. <clears throat> the guy's voice oh, yeah, I'll, is I'll just voice. so unsettling and, and intriguing and perfect for the character. Mm. I mean, Hal is for me the most interesting character in this in, oh, between these two movies. MVP baby, and she could have an MVP award. If we're talking about a supporting character, Hal is a character, just as he's a member of the crew. You know, they talk about that. They they talk about him as if he's just a computer, but then they say you're the de facto sixth member of the crew, and they anthropomorphize him. And this guy brought him to life. So uh, Douglas Rain, Hal nine thousand. Yeah, I went uh, Douglas Rain. Um, yeah, two thousand one. I put uh, you know his, his voice is immortal. You know, I love his voice, yeah. And the guy's still alive. And I don't know if it connects, but Arthur Clarke wrote another novel called Rendezvous with Ramos. Mm -hmm. And Morgan Freeman has tried to get it going for a while. David Fincher has tried to get it going. Really? So it's it's going to come up at some point. And I'm thinking if if because I'm not I don't have too much knowledge on Rendezvous with Ramos, but I, I hope that it connects in this world somehow, like uh, maybe a sequel to 2001, 2010, and maybe we get the, the good sequel that we yeah. never got. I don't know if that's how it works. Um but I'm thinking, record this fucking guy's voice because he's still alive, okay? And let's use him as another Hal version in Rendezvous with Ramos for like a 2019 film, you know? Someone needs to jump on that shit right now because <laughs> his voice is immortal. I fucking love him. Um, it's my takeaway from this versus as well is is Hal, you know, in Douglas Rain. So um, I went with that, but I do want to give a runner-up. But not as a villain. Not as an antagonist. No, I love him as an antagonist. and I, Yeah, I, I love him as an antagonist. I was thinking <laughs> villain at first. Um, you know what? 
as an antagonist, I think he's the best antagonist yeah. for sure. I'm going. I'm going to change that. Yeah, I'm going yes! to. That's what person's about, dude. You didn't see it, but fucking Josh punched me in the dick and put me in a headlock. <laughs> well, so, that's I'm afraid of. There's going to be something I change coming up here too. Okay. Yeah, I, I like said. that. I, I think. Uh, I've always, never changed my answer before. I always try to think best villain before going to best Now's antagonist, but I think Hal <laughs> definitely is the best. Not antagonist. changing that one. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going with that one. Um, but I do want to give a runner-up real quick to 2001, William Sylvester playing um, Haywood R. Floyd. Just the short amount of time that he's on this screen, like, he's got a presence to him. Like, you know he's the fucking boss yep. of this mission, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, you and gave, the you, bad guy. And you gave him the best villain, yeah. I, <laughs> the, the level of confidence coming out of that man yeah. is enough to... Well, he's the only one who knows you. everything. He's looking at yeah, these yeah. people like they're ants, like, you're all idiots. Well, he knows everything about nothing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that scene where he's sitting down and he's... Having, I love like, that scene. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being too inquisitive, but, you know, and he says... Um, Sorry, I'm not at liberty to discuss it. Yeah. There's such finality when he says Finality is the perfect word yeah. there. I loved it. Yeah. He might as well just, you might, shut your face, pissant, is what he might as well have just said yeah. with his tone of voice. I did like Jessica Jessica Chastain as an older Murph. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And those guys giving him she the food good. in the, the ship when they were going out to the monolith. So it felt so sycophantic. You know, and if we're talking I don't about know what that means, Josh, but I agree. <laughs> uh, all the politicians that basically stroke Donald Trump's cock. Okay. You know, that's the, that's what sycophantic means, stroking Excellent. somebody's cock. I'll use them, it again. You know. It's a metaphorical what, hand job. He does that to me every night. <laughs> no, but they're, they're, you know they're like, you did a really good job when clearly nobody in that room agreed with him yeah, about yeah. keeping this shit secret. Yeah, yeah. But they're all like, you did a really good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved him. I thought he was great. So that takes us to best lead actor. Or actress? Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. <laughs> Where are you going? I must have missed a category. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we? Did you go best? Did you tell us your best actress? Supporting actor or actress? Yes. Douglas Rain, Hell 9000. Yeah, and then it goes to best act, lead actor or actress. Mm -hmm. Okay, must have missed it. Uh, well, I'm going to go with um, uh, Anne Hathaway. Okay. She's really... I mean, it's her between her and Jessica Chastain, and you already know that Murph got under my skin, so... <laughs> she, she did. I can um, see I'm going to go with Anne Hathaway, because I thought she was a very con convincing she was. character. It... Okay. Um, I'm going with... This is my Fuck Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway Award. That, so <laughs> I, I, I retitled it. Um, before I tell you who won, I just want to say, one of the biggest fucking problems I have with this movie is his character, but his fucking performance... Um, you guys know who Jennifer Gardner is, right? Jennifer Gardner says that... Uh, so I have this quote about working with Matthew McConaughey, okay? And she says, there's no question that this is a performer who can't say past the salt without being truthful and without meaning something. When you have to pass the salt, you don't have to be fucking meaningful. Just pass the fucking salt. I think Matthew McConaughey in this movie puts <laughs> so much emphasis on every single fucking... And I thought it was great. Yeah. No, he comes off like such a... I would not hang out with fucking thought Matthew Cooper. Great. I could not hang out with fucking Cooper. The guy's a dipshit. He puts so much Texan Tell into it. Tell me it takes two numbers to measure your ass. He puts so much Texan it. in it. Like I just, He seems like a fake... He's 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 like he's phoning it in like he's just on set trying to try his best Texan like his good old boy. Full disclosure, I don't like it. I've always liked Matthew McConaughey, except in Texas Chainsaw Massacre: New Generation. Yeah, I don't. He, I, he puts so much. I like haven't he's seen that. Like, I would imagine shit. it was shit. To me, in this movie, <laughs> is that is that the second one? 
No, that's the fourth one. That was the last one before the remakes. To me, he's trying too hard. Um, Christopher Nolan wanted an everyday man for the role. That's why I went with Matthew McConaughey. I'm going to say the better everyday man is uh, Keir Delea. Oh, you didn't 2001. Nope. <laughs> I went with uh, 2001, and I went with Kira Delea. And I do have my notes. It is 100 days that they're on this mission, okay? Nice. And so they've already talked for 100 days. And so there's not a whole lot of dialogue here, but when, when the action calls for it, I think um, it's very. He's has a very underrated performance. Like when he's disconnecting Hal, there's some suspense there. You know, like like he, there, he's he's terrified. When he says to him, yeah. When he goes to the Stargate, you know, there's there's a sense of wonderment. You know, um, I think it's very understated. So I honestly think he's a better everyday guy than than fucking Matthew McConaughey. Um, I did not care for Matthew McConaughey in this, so I'm going with Kira DeLeo. So that's who I went with. Well. Fail for you. Yeah, not a fail for me. <laughs> and that uh, takes us to best team. Uh, this one was a hard one. Sure eventually. Was. <laughs> not for me. I have this as a screensaver at work. I actually went with uh, Interstellar. <laughs> did you go with the cornfield scene? I did, and I oh. loved it. <laughs> no, I went with Cooper. All right, I'm with taking my answer. <laughs> What'd you do? I fucked myself. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, with Cooper meeting with the teachers. Oh, that was a fucking great scene with all the other fucking great scenes that are in these movies. <laughs> I thought it was great. I loved it. See, to me, it was... When a... he says to it, uh, I think it was a baseball game tonight. I think I'll take her to that. I, I, that was like the biggest fuck you to the, all the lies and the bullshit that they... I thought it was wonderful. Out of the fucking Dawn of Man scene or all the great <laughs> Pantheon scenes, you went with someone talking to their kids about a post-truth society... My it's good stuff. Am I posting that on Facebook? I'm so sorry. I didn't like a bunch of monkeys beating um, things with bones, I'm Brad. posting that on Facebook. I'm so sorry. Fucking goddamn. Where'd you go? Beating bones with bones. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. That, that was such a game changer. I, I should have broke well, that down. Well, what I had feels like I should change it because I'm right on with that. <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> I went with the Dawn of Man segment. Are <laughs> 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 you kidding me? Oh, oh it's man, this, there is something bones about bones, man. No, no, it's not even that. It's not even that. <laughs> it's not even that. For me, the best scene. The best scene in 2001 for me is when the ape wakes up and you see that look of anxiety on his face, and yeah. then he kind of quips a little bit to try and wake the other ones up and they're not rousing fast enough because he's scared. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he finally makes his noise. They all get up and then they surround this thing. The music swells. He's the one that's kind of touching it. Going, yeah. The mu music swells and he moves in, too afraid to do it, too afraid to do it, finally touches it, backs away out of fear. Just that constant, that, 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 that movement until they finally start caressing it and running their hands up it and become comfortable with it. And there's just, I, yeah, that sounds really <laughs> sexual because that's what Kubrick does. But that scene Let's is jack the amazing. Off. <laughs> and then when it when it ends and it just cuts, and then the next scene is uh, when he picks up the tool. Are you sure you don't want to change it to parent teacher conference? Oh, I that was that was my runner up. Okay, just I am sure. going with the uh, Donna Man. Interstellar. You are going with Interstellar? <laughs> oh, you full of shit. Which one are you going with? Donna Man? Donna Man. <laughs> the old Donna Man segment is honestly so, one of my favorite pieces of <clears throat> cinematic anything. It is just glorious. I, I can watch that thing from beginning to end every time, right up to the cut, and love it every time because it's quiet, it's calculated. 
<clears throat> it's powerful. It's meaningful. It, w- I mean, the monolith. It, it, it's fun for me because of what it represents. I don't even. I can't even say for sure that the monolith. And Arthur C. Clarke does. Arthur C. Clarke says this is what happened. But I reject that bullshit because I think it's more fun the way that Kubrick presented it. <clears throat> Did the monolith change them? Teach them something? Communicate to them directly? Or did it simply exist and that was enough to open their mind, to make them think about something differently, to now start perceiving the reality around them differently? Or did it tell them what to do? Because in the next scene, Moonwatcher, right, the the ape, picks up the bone. It seems of his own volition, which I find more compelling than being told to do something rather than it educating us. It actually inspires us. And that that's my favorite thing about the monolith in 2001. And I get all of that from that scene with our primordial selves, our unevolved selves, opening that door. It's, it's amazing. It's my favorite part of 2001. It's my favorite part of this entire Versus. <clears throat> Uh, that's me. Well, fuck all that shit. Here comes Mongo. <laughs> 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 okay, so... All right, tell us your favorite Cooper uh, just, in Interstellar uh, scene. A few... Okay, so my favorite was that... So there's that scene when Cooper, um, he sees the, the dust, and he says that um, there's coordinates in the dust, and they find the secret NASA base. It's my favorite scene. I'm just fucking with you guys. That fucking scene was a horse. <laughs> Defining um, moment. <laughs> We're going to make him stick with that. <laughs> so, no, my favorite... Okay, so uh, a couple runner-ups. I did cry a little bit in Interstellar. I got a little teary-eyed. Whoa, I got emotional. Um, it's looking back when they come back from uh, Miller's planet, yep. and he's looking back at 23 years of messages. Yeah. And he, she, But what really got me, what really got me was Murph says that they are the same age. It would be a really good time if you came back right now. You know, I was like, I got teared up on that. I was like, that's that's pretty good. So you yeah. reject all the father-daughter, parent-child relationship stuff, but that lands home fa- with you? You know what? The son didn't say shit. Because he's an asshole. I wonder why. he's living in a harsh environment. Is he still driving the same fucking truck, too? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that should be what the fuck. He loves that fucking truck. He loves that fucking truck. probably not a lot of assembly lines going on <laughs> no, in the No, but I'm saying it works because that would be You what, make it work. That was what, like 15 years later? And it looked like it was in pretty good condition. I think it was 23 years later. 23 years? Yeah, it was 23. Yeah, I just said 23 years later. Which is but then again, I thought enough, 200 people died on the fucking Discovery. Yeah, yeah. So. Pretty fucking abrasive. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it would have the paper so I did like that scene. Um, Interstellar, the Miller's water planet with a tidal wave coming down. I thought that was really cool. You, really that was cool, uh, You yeah. gave it your best uh, death or kill, right? Yeah. There, yeah. I love because all of, the of time that. Dilation. Yeah, I love the time dilation going on and, that uh, planet. How you I assume that these giant waves are because of Gargantua. The yeah, the tidal forces, power mm-hmm. yeah. pulling it out. That's not a mountain; that's a wave. <laughs> yeah, Dawn of Man was a, a runner-up for me, um, and then so my best, my favorite scene was the disconnecting of Hal Nine Thousand uh, with that red background, pleading for his life. The the Daisy Bell song we've talked about it, you know, all night. I love that. That was actually scene. my runner-up. Was it? Honest. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that was my my best scene. So that takes us to defining moment. <sighs> Interstellar, <laughs> the determination of so little hope. Okay. Of A, surviving yourself, and B, the survival of the human race in general. You're the last of your species, and just no matter what happens, just he keeps going against un, you know measurable odds. They're not in his favor at any point in time, but he still just keeps going. It's just pure determination. Okay. For me, 
2001's opening title sequence <clears throat> is about as defining as it gets. <clears throat> the uh, the music when it just says or, overture. So you're doing Donna Manigan. Are you doing Donna Manigan then? No, 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 okay. no, no. The opening title sequence uh, with the dun, dun, oh yeah yeah <clears throat> with the planetary alignment. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's so iconic. Uh, I experience it, and I know exactly what I'm in for. It's tied to so much, for me, so much depth and, and, and possibility, and it, it is so ominous, too, the, just the weight that it carries. I absolutely love it. Uh, my defining moment was um, pretty much your Dawn of Man scene. Um, I love the scene where the monolith is there. The apes you know, wake up, they, they, they finally interact with it, and then the sun is a, uh, right on top of it, and then it goes to the next scene. You know, I love all that. I think and then, great. and then later, uh, that next scene after that, when he's hitting the pile of bones yeah. and learning, <clears throat> as he's sitting there staring at it, thinking of maybe this could work, it snaps in with that shot of them looking up the monolith with the sun, showing the influence that it had on them. And <clears throat> that's where I get the: was it communication? Were they told to do that, or? Was it inspiration? Yeah. I see inspiration because he seems like he's he's calculating it. He's not doing something specifically he was told to do, but he's coming upon it. Yeah, and we don't we don't know what these monoliths do. I mean, they're they're full <coughs> of energy. I'm, you you get a sense that they're giving information. You know, I think they almost just, like a fucking like two twenty seventeen. We have. I see. I don't think that they are. Really? I I, I don't get that sense at all. So I, that's I, I feel like it's it's such a blank slate that all you see is possibility um, when you look at it. Now, when it, I mean, it projects a signal to Jupiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a clear communication. Yeah, and see, yeah. I, I think that we're all, so they're giving the signal to Jupiter, it's giving the signal to Jupiter, but I also think that <coughs> in that same way, it's interacting with, because in every act, there's a monolith. You know, you have the apes, you have um, the, the astronauts, and then with Bowman in, in the end. So I think there's some sort of, of education there. That, it, that it's imprinting. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a thing. Like I in 2017, we have these... Almost like it was projecting its own... Yeah, uh, and I know... Two, yeah. and the, so I know... I, 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 I prefer 2001 for the... Uh, <clears throat> them helping us realize what we're capable of, not making us a version of them. I, no, I, no, I, and so... And I, and I don't think... I, see, I think you might be looking at it um, not the same way I am. So I... Oh, it's, I'm it's not, sure that's no, the case. It's, it's Everybody not, looks at this differently. It's not telling them how to act. It's showing them... Um, you know, what all's out there, what all you can become. So it's giving them information like we're on the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, 2017, we have these these iPhones and iPads. The monolith almost looks like a, a, a first-generation iPad. Yeah. And I know Kubrick could never have, you know, kind of foreseen like the iPad, <laughs> but it's, it's very interesting. Like some people have said that, you know, hey, maybe 2001 is as deep as we're talking about, or maybe this is only four years after fucking what? It's um, Dr. Strangelove, which was a fucking satire. And with the with with Hal and with the monoliths, what if it's a fun satire on modern technology? You know, and I like actually looking at it from that approach as well. So I think, and he is a uh, that's projecting. Yeah, it's projecting modern time. Though. Modern time, yeah, modern, yeah. But, but that's uh, that's that's what keeps it alive. That's what makes t- two thousand and one so good is because it is <clears throat> so void of that explanation. Yeah, yeah, that you can do that. Yeah, and it'll continue to be relevant. I mean, very 60s inspired, obviously, mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter. When you get to how, it's so wonderful. That takes us to best director. 
I tied. Tied? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, I went with uh, 2001 Stanley Kubrick as well. I, I can see where you're going. Though. I, I, the, my problems, again, with, with Interstellar for me is Cooper and his character. I like a lot of what Nolan did with the movie. I, I think Interstellar looks fantastic, you know? With Back to Kubrick for Best Director, thinking that this was 1968 again, and this is before the, the Apollo 11 moon landings, and, and getting the science fiction as close as he did for being a year before we even landed on the fucking moon. Yep. I think it's impressive. <laughs> and and, and it, it's, it's disorienting when you watch it because you look at the Earth from space yeah. and it doesn't look right. He, he expertly, you look at Jupiter from space and it doesn't yeah. look right. From 1968, exactly right. he expertly <laughs> depicted fucking space travel, which I think hats off to him, man. Before it happened. Yeah, before it happened. The, they don't. We didn't have pictures of the moon. We didn't have pictures of the Earth from space. We didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah. And he's he's pushing accuracy on these people about stars in the background. Yeah. And nailed it. Because he has high expectations because yeah. he's a phenomenal director. And, and, and I know Nolan was very hands-on too, so I can't say nothing against that. But uh, Kubrick as well, um, the fabric of the costumes... You know, he was hands-on. Um, the, the furniture that I thought kind of looked dated in 2001, but the furniture he was hands well, it looked 60s. Yeah, yeah, it looked 60s. Um, that was, I think, the thing that dated 2001 the most was the, the chairs, you know. Um, and it looked like stuff from a Clockwork Orange movie, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But he was so hands-on in everything, you know. And for the science fiction that he, he introduced in 68, he didn't have a physicist like, you know, uh, Kip Thorne, you know, showing him how to do a movie and, 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 and help, helping him craft a screenplay. So there's a lot of stuff. Um, and, and again, before Star Wars, you know, uh, really being hands-on with special effects. So I think, and you can't even take away that. Like, this is fucking ballsy again for 1968 to, to do a, an experimental movie like this, you know, void of, of dialogue and, and heavy classical music and, and, and trying to show someone different. It really changed the game, not only for cinema, but for science fiction. So, best director, Stanley Kubrick. That takes us to our wild card. Where you going, Wayne? Uh, my, my, I went with best shipless travel through space. Okay. And on, on that, I gave it to Interstellar. It was so much more believable when Cooper went through the wormhole than when uh, Bowman, Bowman went through. Went through. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it looked neat. You know, the psychedelic lighting and so forth. It was great to watch, and I liked it. <clears throat> But I thought uh, Cooper's travel in Interstellar was so much more realistic by a long shot. Okay. Uh, you could call my wild card either another nod to best director, or you could call it a best quote. But I actually had something that I thought was pretty powerful um, regarding his directing. Uh, so you want me to give a best, an extra point for best director then? Yeah. I mean, it's a quote from Michael Herr. Uh, screenwriter for Full Metal Jacket, on actors working with Kubrick. He says, They work with Stanley and go through hells that nothing in their careers could have prepared them for. They think they must have been mad to get involved. They think that they died before they would ever work with him again. That fixated maniac. And when it's all behind them and the profound fatigue of so much intensity has worn off, they'd do anything in the world to work for him again. For the rest of their professional lives, they long to work with someone who cared the way Stanley did, someone they could learn from. They look for someone to respect the way they'd come to respect him, but they can never find anybody. I've heard this story so many times. Well, <clears throat> Every film. Uh, that hands-on that you're talking about. Every film. He is that deep. I mean, he's looking at the doorways in, in Eyes Wide Shut. 
the doors had to be redone yeah, yeah. to meet his specification uh, on the streets of New York. And it's so intense, the level of passion this guy gets. You look into uh, his Napoleon project, I'm very excited. Uh, I believe Spielberg is trying to get a version of his oh, cool. Napoleon yeah. off the ground. The Kubrick movie that got away. He had researched it for three yeah. years, I think, some Jesus. ridiculous amount of time. He had locations scouted. He'd had come up with plans for these 10,000 men strong armies, battles on the field. He had it all ready to go. And then the studio, I believe, pulled interest yeah. on it. And he never got to make his Napoleon film. <clears throat> that, the guy, every film has a, a level of a depth and attention to detail unrivaled by almost any director out there so did you ever watch um ai i did yeah did you ever watch ai yeah spielberg but it's um spielberg taking all Channeling of kubrick's, kubrick's notes work because yeah. that was another one that kubrick <clears throat> wanted done and he had you know um concept design he had everything you know um, ready for ai i actually like ai quite a bit you can tell it's it feels like a joint you know, you can tell it's Spielberg. It feels and you so can tell it's Spielberg. long since I've watched that. I, I'd have to rewatch really? it to say anything. Yeah. My defining moment was something <clears throat> very small, but um, I had to Wild look it up card. to. Yeah, I'm sorry, Wild Card. <laughs> um, is call it Monkey Man, okay? And it's that that one guy in a costume that ke- keeps on going to the monolith and touching touching it. Well, what is it? Moon Watcher touching it a few times and then going back. Touching, going back, but I'm like, is this a fucking real monkey dude? Because he had that that those he interactions with that model. He was a mime, and he was trained. He? he trained with. Uh, it's fucking phenomenal, dude. I was like, this is impressive shit. He said he said he auditioned for Kubrick. What monkey? Moon Man, Moon Kubrick, Watcher, Moon Watcher. He auditioned for Kubrick. Kubrick hired him on the spot, gave him freedom to. He went to the zoo and he filmed apes all day. Just studied them God to get his damn original down. Andy Circus right here, man. Yeah, <laughs> to get to get the movements and the motions down, and then he trained the entire all the people that were in those ape suits. He trained them in their motions. And he stuff gave a hundred percent to that monolith scene, dude. I thought it was great. And then I guess everybody was you know in costume except for two baby chimpanzees. Yep. But I think for you know night you know twenty seventeen. You know, I think that that still holds up pretty well. The sound effects are a little off, you know, on what chimpanzees, you know, I think would sound like. But they must have an echo sound to them. Really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for the look of them, you know, you can tell. You can tell. But it still holds up. But they're not supposed. Good. They're not necessarily supposed to be chimpanzees. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. I mean, they're man apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> the fact that they have more elongated limbs yeah, is yeah. kind of justifiable. It's an early version of man. So, you know, I didn't I didn't notice it until this time either that you know when the bone goes up in the air and it transitions into I always thought it was a ship. I honestly I always thought it was Discovery One. Do you guys know what that is? It's some sort of bomb. Yeah, it's a nuclear device. So the bone is a weapon transitioning really? into a weapon. an evolved weapon. I did not know that. <clears throat> and it, it was just it was never clarified. That was something you talked about off screen. Um, and I always thought it was a space station. That's what I thought too. Yeah, justified. I figured it was another ship or something. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that takes us to Best Picture, Wayne. You know, honestly, I did have Interstellar down, but it was something Josh said a little earlier that uh, 2001 will stay with time, and Interstellar won't. And that kind of got me thinking. I I love Interstellar. It's a great movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. I was able to keep with it and such. But it's going to fade, and I don't think 2001 ever will. It was uh, sort of the night of the living dead of science fiction. It changed the genre. It you know, just made it more serious. 
totally turned it around, and I've got nothing but respect for it on that. So I, I went from Interstellar and Final Answer 2001. And the reason for that is the ship design may be different in reality, but that centrifugal design that they <clears> use <throat> to simulate... Art- I mean, the real question is, why haven't we done that yet? Because the, the science behind that is pretty sound yeah. that we could actually do that. Uh, and I'll, he went he went the distance to make sure that whatever he put on screen was practical in some way. They projected a lot of stuff that I mean the guy has a dial phone for the video the video phone call. Yeah, <laughs> you know it is literally just an upgraded version of a regular telephone. But it was what they assumed the technology was moving towards. They missed the mark on a few things like that, but sitting down at a terminal to place a video conference call yep. is something we do. Yeah. You know? So, I mean... That's not too far from Skyping. <laughs> it, 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 it'll it'll last only because it's so minimally explained what was happening on screen. I think... I think that, that's about, a bane of science fiction I is think, over-description. The thing about 2001... It was ahead of its time. It, and it still is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you look, at, you look at what Elon Musk is talking about doing now with... Uh, Space tourism, flights and up, up there and stuff like that, and being able to have reusable rockets to come back down. <clears throat> We're still moving towards the things that 2001 predicted. The only thing they got wrong, in my opinion, is the fucking date. Um, we're still evolving to that point. I do believe we're going to get there. I, I, yeah, I believe it's so too. fully within our range of, of capability to have. I mean, it's not going to say Pan Am on the side of it, but <laughs> yeah. to have space flights that go up there and, and static space stations of that size are probably a global collaborative effort waiting to happen, but it's fully probable and possible. And I, I'd imagine it'll look something like that. If they want to simulate gravity for long-term space stays, that's what they have to do. Uh, 2001 just gets it, and it keeps it timeless. Yeah, I went 2001 as well. Um, it's a hypnotic tour through the universe with Stanley Kubrick as your guide. You know, what more do you want from a science fiction movie, Wayne? We haven't <laughs> talked about that, the Stargate sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't thought, what, what did you guys... No, I love it. I love it. I think mm. it's fantastic. It's very, it's trippy. It's what do you see? What do you see? What do happening? I see? I see him going back all the way to the dawn of man. I see him being fed tons of information that no one else has access to, and it's enlightening him. You know, I think that's that's what I get out of it. Did that scene show us what the monolith is 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 conveying? No, I think so. Or is it only being given to him at this stage of our evolution, and only tapped into a little bit of that with the apes? Well, I th- maybe I think maybe also the monolith shows you what it wants to. I don't think every monolith will show you the same. Maybe the monolith showed the apes what it needed to to get to a certain point, because maybe too much information would be information overload. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So I think it knows it, the amount of information. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that? That's your definition of the monolith, and it can be completely. You know, and I bet, you know, as you know, Interstellar. I have a lot of problems with Interstellar. I probably give it like a three, three point five. I do like a lot of the the Chris. I think it's one of Christopher Nolan's better directed movies, not one of his better movies. Um, I love the, his use of IMAX cameras, for example. You know, uh, I think the movie looks big. It looks huge. Um, but when we talk in two thousand one, man, it, it doesn't hold your hand. I love movies like that that just lets you. Um, figure it out for yourself. You know, for we can sure. have a, a deeper conversation about it afterwards. Um, I think it, 
2001 is an experience. You know, you can't be tired. Yeah, you, you got know, the right mindset. I re- my biggest fear is if it did go to Pantheon tonight, my biggest fear is people won't give it the chance. They'll have something going on in their life, mm-hmm. or they'll be, you know, working. Or they'll fall asleep they'll halfway fall asleep. through and then decide because they fell asleep that it's too boring yeah. to be worth their exactly. time. And you know yeah. what? I think... Maybe you guys can get behind me on this. I'm not for sure, but I think 2001 is one of the most relaxing movies. It but, but but it's a little too relaxing. I, right? I do fall asleep on it, right? But I not because I'm bored. The music, the slow scenes. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fucking relaxing. Well, even movie. the coloring. Of yeah, yeah, it, you know, it is. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I think um, 2001 is is phenomenal. It is a slow movie. I can't watch it every fucking week, obviously. But when it when it comes up, I love thinking about it. You know, I love having that conversation. Um, and with that said, though, I've never looked at 2001 this way, and I don't think I would have if it wasn't for Interstellar, um, with that end sequence with Matthew McConaughey going through the, the Tesseract, you know, because then I started thinking, you know, when he talked about humans evolving to the point where they created the fifth dimension so they that they could save humanity, you know, I was like, well, maybe that's what the monolith Well, then that's the great thing about 2001 again. They didn't tell you who those aliens were. Yeah, but it inspired well, the monolith, a thought I was that I really enjoyed. I was kind of looked at it. Uh, I don't know if you guys just, well, I'm sure you have, but Star Trek, the original motion picture, uh, V'ger, how it was this thing going through space collecting information. I was kind of wondering if the monolith was something like that, except it was also sharing its information, too. Mm-hmm. That is you also know, a feasible. Almost like, you know, it doesn't really, it's okay, like the, the, the man apes. Like, hey, here's, I'm going to take something from you, but I'm going to give something back. You know, I'm going to learn from you, and you're going to learn from me. Yeah. Much like when, uh, Bowman, when he started to, you know, go through the well, Stargate or whatever. Maybe it was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to collect from you, and you're going to collect from me. You know, almost a, a sharing of information of some sort. Yeah, yeah. No, That's that, that, that definitely could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting, though, because I'm like... If uh, you look at... What, what's the star child, though? What's the end goal... Because this thing is not going, not going off of 2010, okay? Because 2010 goes in some bizarre yeah, places. Not I going, liked it, but... <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I think it's... It wasn't bad. It, it's not bad. But that's not where I want it to go in my yeah, head. Yeah, I have a, a lot more creative ways I want to go than 2010. I think it collected Bowman, and he became one with it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know it's... Uh, I, don't like, I don't know if I like that. I think it opened him up. I do, too. Do you think he it's becomes... It's ascension. It's about stepping outside of your organic self. Let me your, ask you this. Do you think that Bowman becomes a less... An infant god, yes. Okay, I was going to ask you, a lesser... A, a, not a comic book version, but a, a Dr. Manhattan, you know, that's not set in, like, the, the DC world, you know? Do you think he's, like, a Dr. Manhattan... I think it's possible. Uh, I, I I tend to think that the people who are responsible for the monoliths are projecting Prometheans. <laughs> you mean engineers? Engineers. Yeah. Fuck! I never thought about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's no. watch Prometheus. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do it. No, um, I I feel like they they're probably disembodied their pure energy they've ascended to a higher plane they're a new species and well not new but he is entering into that i'm not sure that the uh that the star child is actually there i like the idea that the monoliths aren't actually there that they're manifesting in pure energy the star child is a representation of his new state of mind rather than his actual physical being <clears throat> you i mean 
again, there's a thousand yeah, different ways. I think, you can I think look Arthur at. C. Clarke's book says that they the monoliths are a tool that were created by evolved human beings, you know, yeah. a human race, which is again kind of what Interstellar shows us, but in a dumbed down version and gives yeah. us the answer. I don't like that as much as us having a deeper conversation yep. about it. Two thousand one is an experience that I think is phenomenal. That's my best picture. Anything else before we count the Golden Idol Awards? I'm good. All right. We will count the Golden Idols, and we will be right back after this message from Wayne. I have no message. All right. We will be right back. (laughs) We are back, and after counting the Golden Idols, 2001 is the Golden Idol winner. So the only sci-fi movie that matters now is 2001. It is the versus winner, so does it deserve Pantheon? That is the question. For any new listeners, the Pantheon is the home for our favorite movies of all time. We need a unanimous vote tonight at the table. And if so, then it gets kicked up to the Pantheon Council. Next three weeks it'll be reviewed. So, Cousin Wayne is 2001 Pantheon. Without question. I mean, I obviously do have some problems with it. You were shitting all over it! I'm trying to be nice. Okay, yes, I, I shout on it in some areas. But there's no doubt that this this is a landmark science fiction film. It, it was a game changer. But do you enjoy it? Because Pantheon isn't just landmark at the, movies. At, at the right times, yes, I do. I mean, I honestly, I have to be in the right mindset to enjoy this. If I'm in any other mindset, I, no, I don't. You know, it, it is a very thought-provoking, very... You know, I've got to think about it a lot. Because there's a lot of important... I think the important thing to realize is a movie can be Pantheon without being something you want to watch all the time. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm agreeing to to it being Pantheon. Because a lot of important films will never grace the the steps of Pantheon. If I I watch this movie every three years, it's a miracle. Yeah, because for my vote, man, it has to be... It has to be... It has to have some sort of a legacy, like 2001. It has to be an important film, an important film to me. Um, change the genre or something, but I have to enjoy it. And, and I do at at times. I mean, this is not a movie I can enjoy all the time, which, you know, it, it is, that's fine too. But uh, like I said, I compared it to Night of the Living Dead just in, in what it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times when I do enjoy Night of the Living Dead, not often, because I think it's got its problems too, but uh, yeah, without question, this does deserve Pantheon. Uh, groundbreaking special effects. Uh, groundbreaking story, really. I mean, because before this, you had mainly you know, the '50s cheesy sci-fi and stuff. This predates Star Trek. Star does it Wars. predate? Does it predate Star Trek? Yeah, that came out in '69, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, I couldn't say. I'm not a big Trekkie. Uh, I'm very. You know, like I said, fact check me. I could be wrong, but I'm. sure But it changed 60. the landscape it did. of science fiction. For and sure. it let's did. also point out that its accuracy is astounding when you oh, realize yeah. we it, had not. Gone to the moon yet? Kubrick looked way ahead on this, and you know, and like I said, the science is still sound, and, and I think it always will be, and that's what makes this you know, one of the things that makes this movie amazing. That and honestly, um, like I said, I did shit on it in areas, but the soundtrack and the music to this, there's nothing else like it. N- nothing so mood setting and atmospheric as what this has done. So, my I give a definite yes. It should be Pantheon. What do you think, Josh? I, there were, April 26th, right? That was my day to nominate a film for Pantheon. Ultimately, I chose Dawn of the Dead, but it was between 2001 A Space Odyssey and Dawn of the Dead. 
for me, this is a clear choice and one of the most inspiring, powerful films I've ever seen. The Dunham Man segment specifically, uh, I, I can tirelessly watch that. Uh, it's a clear yes for me. This movie is Pantheon. Yeah, it's one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that, and I will second that. I, I agree with that. Yeah, you have to be in the mood. You it's know? the first appearance of real AI yeah. in a yeah. moving and powerful way, which is one of my favorite science fiction subgenres, yeah. uh, films with, with AI. And this one just runs the gamut. It does everything. Yeah, It Every- shows evolution of man, our growth, uh, projects sci-fi, science fiction. Yeah. Human um, evolution, technology, artificial fiction. intelligence, mm-hmm. a, a fresh and new take on alien life forms. Evolution. You know? And all presented through a lens and a scope that allows for open interpretation for concepts of God, religion, place yeah. in the world. Yeah, but it's it's such a an inspiring movie. And my favorite thing, my favorite aspect of this is how fucking risky this movie is. You know, for 1968, as a um, an artist like Kubrick to come out and and to make films like this. You know, yeah. they change the landscape not only for science fiction but for film in general. You know, and this thing has some balls on it. You know. <laughs> Um, Science fiction films take the highest risk, really, of providing opportunities to date themselves. And I think Stanley Kubrick's genius is that he recognizes that, and he didn't fluff it with exposition, dialogue. You know, the things that tend to date, I mean, even now, Interstellar, there have been comments made about how some of the stuff in Interstellar has been disproven just since the movie was made. And it's that easy to do, to stumble on yourself, because we're still learning as mm-hmm. people. Uh, Kubrick insulated himself from that with this movie, and wonderfully so. Yeah, this movie just lets you got, embrace... Yeah, And it, I think it also focuses on the, on the biggest question of all, is what's out there? Yeah. Where do we come from? Exactly. Are, are Where we are we alone? going? <clears throat> that is my something favorite like that question blanks. in any science fiction film it's my favorite one to pursue and ai is a special perspective of that yeah and a blank slate like a monolith you know let you ask that it's question. so symbolic it yeah. lets you ask that question it lets you embrace your own theories and ideologies and i just think it's an important film something like a blank slate like that it, you could just you can look at that and you can it just i would challenge you. anyone to come up with a film that provides those opportunities that's not 2001 yeah. in the science fiction because everything else tells you what's going on. This movie just wanted to let you think. Yeah. And score. Accomplished. <laughs> yeah, so that's three yeses, three pantheons. Uh, closing thoughts before we shut this down tonight. Uh, just did so, you enjoy this versus? Yes, I did. I, I really did. I had never seen Interstellar before coming up to this, and I was really excited about it. And I, I think the problem with me having to watch 2001 for this is literally, if I'm not in the mindset to watch it, I don't enjoy. It's almost hard to explain, so I'm going to do my best. It, it was it was hard to watch it this time, you know, what I mean? because I was scheduled to watch it before oh, yeah, a certain yeah. date. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that took a lot away from me on that, and, yeah. which made I can it really. That. That's why it was so hard to give awards to. Like honestly, if I were to watch this at a time when I wanted to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I really feel like 2001 yeah. would would come out ahead. Yeah, I, I love Interstellar. That. It's a great movie. You can't be forced to watch 2001 early in which the morning. Exactly. Which is gonna coffee. Mm-hmm. I gotta. 
get my energy levels up. I'm going to watch 2,000. Yeah, it goes, <laughs> exactly. it goes, it goes That's back. That's how I felt. That's exactly how yeah, I felt. I completely and I, get that. It goes and back to my fear of kicking <laughs> up to a council, you know, because we're doing the same thing. We're forcing them exactly. to watch I'll be very curious to see how late they do with this. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, that, that's how it is for me. Now, if I, like, you know, hey, Wayne, I want you to give these awards when you are in the, the, the mood or the mindset to watch 2001, yeah. I, I believe it would have been reversed, if not more so. 2001, I think, would have came out more awards for yeah. me. It depends on what kind of movie you want to. Like, I said that Interstellar is... Interstellar is the easier one to watch. I think, it, yeah, it is. I think... Um, less thinking, uh, yeah, more is. action. You know, I said it, 2001 is for the mind, okay? And Interstellar is uh, played more towards the heartstrings. And there, there was some moments. I, I even got a little teary eyed in a couple of moments. No. I'm not gonna, I mean, I didn't it's the poppy bubblegum like, oh. version of 2001, I think, and that's mm-hmm. not something I'm as interested in as 2001. I get it. So. It's like 2001, you know, 101 for dummies, you know? yeah, for retards. <laughs> so. A little harsh, but yeah, okay. No, I'm being nice. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> There's books called that. No, oh, yeah, oh. I got some. My turn? Yeah. Interstellar. Gotta love that Cooper. Moving on. <laughs> pooper. <laughs> no, I, I call him Pooper. Well, you just something on. we do in this house. Come on, Pooper. No, this, this has been a, <laughs> Closing comments here. This has been a, in one of the more interesting verses. Because <laughs> um, I think we all threw a few more punches than we normally do. <laughs> Not at one. I think the punches kind of yeah, went around. Went all around, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm happy to have landed one of them. Yeah, I got a couple punches. Hey, and I, this yeah, is one right. I, I feel like it. I just sat back more than anything and, and listened <laughs> to you two go on. <laughs> you know, and and I was too because I thought you know that you know what, what's the connection here that I'm missing. You know, and that's why I was listening to you two guys on. I don't know that you're missing anything. I I think that your instincts are probably right. <clears throat> just like I know I made Jordan's comment my what the fuck but his instincts are right it is a slow movie but it is an important movie oh yeah and it, 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 you'll have to watch it once to open the door mm-hmm. to open your mind to the concept of what it could all mean and i mean i watched 2001 once a year and it carries with me through the whole year i mean it establishes just a desire to to think about What's out there? The possibilities. What it all means. We don't. We don't know. You know. Um, and you only have to do that once. Like I said. And you do have to be in the right mood, the right state of mind, the right physical state to get through it. But it doesn't make it bad at all. No. Yeah, I've said everything I wanted to, to guys. So Wayne, cousin Wayne, where can they find you? Facebook, Instagram. Josh. Av. Right. Um, I do want to plug our next verses real quick. Um, in the next what three three weeks, I think uh, we're going to be doing Blade Runner versus Akira, so that should be fun. We're doing that because of Blade Runner twenty forty nine coming up, and then after that, I think we're going to try to crush out a uh, uh, wrestler versus Black Swan, and then followed up by Evil Dead one versus Evil Dead two. So got some fun conversations coming up. Going to be some tough ones, really. Yeah. So uh, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com. You can find us on our Facebook page, Twitter. We're on Tumblr. Uh, we're on all, all over the place. Um, so come check us out. Till next time, my good people. Peace out. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.